the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Yes, we'd all be a lot happier if the legend himself, Dave Ellswick, was sitting here in this fine chair and wooing you with his fine knowledge of politics and many connections across the land. But even a guy like Dave gets to take a day off now and then. And I believe that we can count on our old buddy Dave being sitting on a beach somewhere right now, suntanning his tootsies, sucking on a mint julep or maybe a Diet Coke. And uh, Dave, enjoy yourself and relax. One thing's for sure, everybody will be glad when you get back. But at least we do still have a radio show today, and I hope it's going to be an interesting and fun one. want to talk a little about the news of the day here in the first hour. We have a man by the name of Ron Porto who's coming in from the Arkansas term limits at 3 o'clock to talk to us a little bit about one of the amendments we're all going to get to vote on coming up in November. And then we'll have the usual conduit for action and uh, looking forward to meeting uh, our legal expert. It's going to be a fine show for you. We're looking forward to it. hope that you're going to be able to stay with us. If you want to participate in the Dave Ellswick Show, if you'd like to opine on any of the uh, things of the day that are going on in the news or things that we talk about here, your calls are always welcome. It's 823-0965, 823-0965. If you'd like to participate in this guest edition of the Dave Ellswick Show with old Carl Kimball, I got my old buddy Dave, but we've been friends now for about 18 years since he first came to town and had very similar libertarian minds. Being a Christian pro-life libertarians made us sort of a birds of a feather back when we first met and we've agreed on just about everything save the lottery i think during those 18 years so we won't get into the lottery but i'll just say that if you tuned in hoping to hear some of dave's irreverent right-wing chat you may get some irreverent white right-wing chat anyway and that's easy for me to say but i'm almost a professional now we've got a lot of stuff going on in the news today and of course the latest is this judge kavanaugh business it is absolutely Uh, to be expected that the Democrats will come up with some kind of low, dirty trick at the last possible second. They can't stop something that's happening because they lost an election. They didn't win the election, so they don't get to pick their Supreme Court justice. And yet they're going to do everything they can to make sure the other side can't too. And now, in typical fashion, this reminds me so much of what happened to the great Clarence Thomas, so I think it's been probably one of the perhaps three most outstanding justices of my lifetime, and they bushwhacked him with that Anita Hill business. Uh, Now they're doing the same thing to a good man, Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, Ever since the days when uh, Teddy Kennedy was painting a picture of Robert Bork's America and telling us that letting a Republican get on the Supreme Court was going to cause people to die, and it was going to be doomed for the nation. Oh, what a horrible country we were going to have if Judge Robert Bork got on the Supreme Court. And he didn't. They stopped him. They didn't stop Clarence Thomas. 
We'll see what happens with Judge Kavanaugh. If the Republicans have the fortitude to keep themselves together, I think that we'll still end up getting a conservative. And by conservative Supreme Court justice, I just mean what Judge Kavanaugh said, the justice who believes that he should do impartial justice under the laws as they're written and who should interpret the Constitution based on what it actually says and not make up some ideological thing that has nothing to do with the wording in the Constitution and say now it's a constitutional law because we said so. Uh, That is the way that Democrats have gotten an awful lot of the big changes through in our society over the last uh, couple of decades. And so they have a great interest in maintaining a majority, if at all possible, on the Supreme Court who don't believe that the Supreme Court's job is to interpret the actual Constitution as the Constitution's actually written. It may say Congress shall make no law restricting the right of citizens to bear arms, but that means absolutely nothing if you're coming from the far left. So we'll find out whether this business works with the last-minute ambush of the supposed uh, sexual misconduct that he's accused of committing some 30-plus years ago when he was still in high school. And it turns out that the accusation is not only by someone who claims not to remember where it happened, not to remember when it happened, but it turns out that the accuser is also a anti-Trump activist who wears those funny little pink hats and going on demonstrations against the evils of conservatism. So, And not only that, I found out today that her parents lost a court case in which the judge was Judge Kavanaugh's mother. So we've got a very questionable accuser with no witnesses, no evidence, nothing but another last-minute stab to try and come up with a, a way to stop what looked like an inevitable nomination. So we'll find out whether that works. If you want to, so this bit about his, about his mother provi- presiding over this case. His mother, Judge Kavanaugh's mother, was a state judge, and and there was a case involving um, eminent domain, I believe, that that had to do with the parents of the accuser of Judge Kavanaugh now. So her, so she has family reasons to resent the judge's family. Not that the judge has ever been proven to do anything against her, but the judge's mother was a judge and made a judgment against the parents of the accuser. So this is all looking pretty questionable right now, and uh, I'm, I'm just hoping that that goes nowhere. Well, anyway, so... Uh, if you want to opine on uh, Judge Kavanaugh's nomination or the things going on around that, you're free to give us a call, 823-0965. Other stuff going on in the news, but to me, one of the things that's most interesting right now is something that's practically not in the news. And I know that those who never, ever watch Fox News will say, oh, you're just getting this from Fox News. It's not true. But there are more sources than just Fox News. And my favorite historian, my favorite living historian, is a Californian by the name of Victor Davis Hansen. He's a college professor of Greek history, and at least that's his main line, but he's also written some wonderful, wonderful history books, not only about Greek history, but about American history, European history as well. And he's got a column that's been appearing in the Democrat Gazette in which he talks about something that I think 
in any kind of a just world, we'd be getting a lot more press coverage for than some of the picky in little small, mostly made up things that are that are gaining our attention. He has a column in the, the paper just last week that says the title of it is "The Left Goes Crazier." Here's how it starts: Much of what we now know about the unethical and often illegal behavior of the FBI, CIA. National Security Agency and Department of Justice <coughs> excuse me, emerged due to the efforts of the House Permanent Select Committee in, on Intelligence. Its chairman during these stunning disclosures has been Representative Devin Nunez, representative from California, who in turn has been constantly demonized for his efforts. Yet without the committee's digging, Americans would not have known that Hillary Clinton's campaign and the National Democratic Committee paid for an unsubstantiated 2016 dossier on Donald Trump compiled by former British intelligence officer Christopher Steele. Prior to the committee's work, we did not know that the FBI and Justice Department used unverified information from the Steele dossier to obtain a warrant from the Foreign Intelligence Service Court, allowing for the surveillance of former Trump campaign aide Carter Page. Without the committee's disclosures, Americans would not have any idea that Bruce Orr, who once ranked fourth in the Department of Justice hierarchy, coordinated opposition research on Trump with Steele, the FBI, and Fusion GPS. Uh, I'll put in an aside for whom Orr's wife worked. Getting back to uh, Victor Davis Hanson, Orr took this unethical step because his wife was working for Fusion GPS, a fact that was withheld on federal disclosure forms. The Nunez-led committee also uncovered the names of prominent FBI and DOJ officials, including, get this, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Rod Rosenstein, and Sally Yates, who had approved FISA court warrant applications that were based on the largely discredited Steele dossier. Most dramatically, we learned that members of the Obama administration had unmasked the names of U.S. citizens swept up in government surveillance. Many of those names were illegally leaked to the press. This disclosure forced former U.N. Ambassador Samantha Power and former National Security Advisor Susan Rice to confess that they had requested most of the unmaskings. Rice had previously denied it. Of course, we probably all remember Susan Rice. She was the one who went on five different television shows on the same day, the Sunday after the Benghazi debacle of 2012, and lied on the air on five different networks to the people of the United States trying to cover up the disaster that the Obama administration had created in Libya that resulted in the deaths of four Americans and that they then went on to subsequently blame on some poor Egyptian filmmaker whom they scooped up in California and threw into jail. I don't know if he ever got out or what happened to him, but they blamed this whole thing on a video that practically nobody had seen. Now, the way this works, when they're doing foreign surveillance on one of these FISA warrants, they don't, they're not supposed to do these on American citizens. They're supposed to be doing it on specifically on foreign people. And if they're listening in on foreign people, 
and these FISA warrant uh, wiretaps, I know they don't use wires now. It's a different type of electronic surveillance. It's more modern. But when you say wiretap, everybody knows what you mean. If they accidentally get the names of American citizens on these foreign surveillance warrants where they're only warranted to listen in on foreign conversations, conversations of foreigners, when they talk to Americans and Americans inadvertently get named in the transcripts of these surveillances that are done under these very secretive FISA warrants, the names of the American citizens are blacked out or masked so that when the transcripts shown, it only shows the uh, names of the foreigners and people they have warrants for and Americans who are just inadvertently brought into it are masked. Well, these people, and by these people I specifically mean especially uh, Sally Yates, uh, she went around getting these unmasked. They unmasked. They had specific requests to unmask numerous Americans who had been accidentally swept up in these surveillance warrants that were obtained based on falsified information and without the connections and the discrediting origins of these things being made known. So there was some bad, bad stuff going You would not want these people to be your local sheriff in the town where you live. I guarantee you. Well, getting back to Victor Davis Hanson here. We're doing it on time. Got a break coming up pretty soon. Let me get just one more paragraph or so in before we have to go out and make some money. Most dramatically, says Victor Davis Hanson, we learned that members of the Obama administration had unmasked the names of U.S. citizens swept up in government surveillance, and many of these names were illegally leaked to the press. This disclosure forced former U.N. Ambassador Samantha Power and advisor Susan Rice to confess they'd been requesting them, even though Rice had previously denied it. The House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence also confirmed that FBI agents had interviewed former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn and did not think that he lied to them concerning his contact with a top Russian diplomat. No one so far has refuted the committee's findings, yet Chairman Nunez has become a subject of unprecedented venom largely because of a spate of further embarrassing scandals that the FBI, the DOJ, and the CIA have resulted from his committee's findings. Here in California's Central Valley, progressive reporters and political activists snoop around the farms of Nunez's relatives eager to find any information that would be useful in discrediting his chairmanship. They've hunted down his wife, grandmother, and uncle in hopes of finding dirt. Reporters have even studied his family's genealogy going back four generations to accuse him of being too loyal to Portugal. The local newspaper, the Fresno Bee, suffers from chronic Devon derangement syndrome. Almost daily, the Bee runs anonymous sourced stories That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Democrats just never run out of anonymous sourced stories that say bad things about Republicans. Okay, so the the Fresno Bee, his hometown newspaper, is running these anonymous stories with headlines implying that Nunez could be treasonous, corrupt, or dishonest. At the national level, the progressive political apparatus has targeted Nunez's 2018 re-election race and contributed hundreds of thousands of -of out-of-district campaign dollars to his opponent, Andrew Jans, whom Nunez beat by 26 percentage points in a June primary. 
They square off again in the general election in November. The national media has disparaged Nunes, a farmer, as some sort of rustic bumpkin snookered by the deep state's Washington, D.C. professionals. The match between his backstory and his prominence seems wholly incongruous and helps underscore the perception that Nunes is cavalierly playing at the very high-stakes game while in way over his head, wrote David Hawkins for Roll Call. MSNBC analyst Elise Jordan described Nunes as a former dairy farmer who House Intel staffers refer to as secret agent man because he has no idea what's going on. There's certainly nothing in his resume that uh, would have qualified him for the post, wrote Peter Lance in the Huffington Post. Oddly, California activists have gone to court unsuccessfully to sue Nunes for claiming that he's a farmer. Their strange argument is that as a congressman, he no longer actively farms, a silly occupational rationale that would apply to anyone who still holds full-time office. Apparently, the resistance cannot decide whether to attack Nunes as a fake farmer or as an all-too-real farmer. More ironies abound. Prior to 2016, Nunes was praised by both conservatives and liberals for his warning to the Obama administration about the dangers from Russian-style cyber attacks and meddling in U.S. affairs. Conservatives had taken umbrage at his opposing House members who wished to shut down the government. The demonization of Nunes is a window into our times. We hunt for mythical Russian collusion, while foreign collusion between Christopher Steele and his Russian sources is ignored. Progressives who claim an affinity for the middle classes demonize farmers as hicks. A supposedly noble press prints fake news and traces down and summons long-dead great-grandmother to suggest divided loyalties. The real question is not why today's jaded media go to such lengths to slander Nunes, but why they are so afraid of him. And we'll talk about it more when we come back after this break. Well, welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. Carl Kimball here taking an afternoon off from his usual work selling insurance to small businesses and individuals and uh, getting a chance to chat with you on the radio, the Dave Ellswick audience. And a great audience it is. I know that if you're listening to Dave, you're probably right-thinking Americans. I hope that I didn't uh, bore too many of you with uh, that entire column from Victor Davis Hanson, but coming back after the break, we'll be taking your calls if you'd like to comment and discussing a little further the subject matter there, which I consider to be far more important than practically anything on the first uh, on the front page and, and far more important than most of the political controversies that are occupying the news today. Collusion has become such a big part of the vocabulary now, much as gravitas was 18 years ago. Uh, collusion, the Russians colluding supposedly with someone in our country in order to affect our elections. That's the whole purpose of the Mueller investigation, supposedly, is to look into whether the Russians interfered with our election process. Well, we've got examples of collusion that we'll be discussing in more detail in the next half hour. But we have collusion with the Russians, but it wasn't from Donald Trump or from his campaign. We have the Hillary campaign the Democratic National Committee and 
parts of the Justice Department itself, including the FBI, all colluding to thwart the will of the American people, and it's something with up with which we should not put. These things are only going to stop if American people rise up and have an awareness of what's going on and insist, and, I, and by that I mean insist at the ballot box, that those that are perpetrating this kind of a fraud on the American people don't get away with it. They're disappointed they lost the election. If there was justice in America, they'd lose a whole lot more than that. We're going to be back after the news with the Dave Ellswick Show. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. Carl Kimball here. It's a beautiful day in our hometown, the capital city of Arkansas. Well, such a beautiful day, it's kind of hard to get outraged, I suppose. But I, I can't help but have uh, a, a lingering resentment that it seems so much like a lot of the things that go on in Washington, if you're on the right side, you get away with them. You know, our old buddies, the Clintons, they've been getting away with stuff. Well, those of you who've been in Arkansas for a long time know the Clintons have been getting away with stuff for as long as they've been on the scene. They seem to be untouchable. But it was Hillary and the Democratic National Committee that launched off this whole business with the Steele dossier, which was designed to get dirt on Trump. There's nothing in it that's been substantiated. It's apparently, and it's it's information, quote, information, unquote, that this retired British spy who worked with the, the uh, FBI sometimes put together in order to discredit Trump and was used by the FBI for the purpose of getting the first uh, the first warrants to secretly uh, monitor the communications of and look into certain members of the Trump campaign. Now, the guy that they went after, this Carter Page, he's kind of an egghead professorial type who specializes in economic development in Russia. And so he had con- contacts with Russia, and he was, he, there's still never been any reason brought forth why the government felt necessary to spy on Carter Page. But through their spying on Carter Page, even though he's never been accused of anything, never been uh, charged with anything, never been convicted of anything, and yet following him around and wiretapping him was the excuse that led to wiretapping other people that led to uh, apparently the entrapment of this Papadopoulos guy who is a very, very minor, minor figure in the campaign. And he gets popped by being essentially led into passing around a rumor that had been fed to him by the same people that are doing all this behind the scenes. Now, the thing that makes this so astonishing to me and so incredibly important to me is that you have people within the government, people in the FBI, in the CIA, in the Justice Department, who are working first to affect the outcome of an election, because this starts while the election's going on, before a lot of this has happened, but during the middle of the campaign season, you got the FBI colluding to try and prevent the election of Donald Trump. And then after Trump gets elected anyway, you have these same people colluding in an effort to try and discredit Trump and lead him eventually to being impeached because Democrats can't lose an election. Apparently that's the way it goes. If 
the Democrats win an election, it's a mandate from on high that they can fundamentally change the entire country forever. But if they lose an election, it's a horrible miscarriage of justice that has to be turned around and and put right just as soon as possible. So while electing Obama meant, yes, we can steamroll through no matter how much the people or the Congress object to it, we can steamroll through all kinds of things that are going to have a massive effect on the future of the country. But they lose an election. Now it's all hands on deck, everything to undo the results of this just election. And it was a just election. Now, I'm no huge fan myself of Donald Trump. In fact, I always kind of found him a despicable character when he was not in politics. But when he got in politics, of course, then he was a despicable character among many despicable characters. And I got to tell you, folks, there's nothing that I would be pleased by more than if we could have a president who is a good, moral, upstanding man who is loyal to and still faithfully married to his first wife, whose character was above reproach, who'd never lie to us. George Washington, unfortunately, wasn't on the ballot last time, and uh, and since the days of Bill Clinton, none of that matters anymore. Remember, the same people that are, are so determined to get Trump, and after Trump, they're the ones that foisted Bill Clinton on us and then said, oh, it's his private life. Just leave him alone. So, you know, at this point, I certainly don't approve of his Stormy Daniels escapades and certainly don't find it a very savory thing and wish I didn't have a president that was mixed up and paying off bimbos. That, But, you know, like I said, that ship's already sailed. We've already had Bill, and he was okay. Remember, it was just his private life. But in the meantime, though, despite his personal peccadilloes and unpleasantries as a human being, he's come in and done some very conservative things with the economy, done some very conservative things with regulation, done some very conservative things with court appointments. The result has been an amazing economic turnaround for the country. I got to tell you, folks, when the 2012 election was going on, I predicted that if we reelected Obama for another four years, I'd never live long enough to see the economic damage that was being done to the country reversed. I was amazed at how quickly things started to turn around when Obama was out and Trump was in. Now, I know that our past president, who told us to get used to it, 1% or 2% growth was all that we could expect. Certainly, we could not expect more than that. We just had to get used to it. It's the new normal. And by the way, everything that happened for eight years was George Bush's fault. So I guess now it's only just that now that he's out of office— and Trump's in, and all of a sudden we're having 4% growth, and we're having less than 4% unemployment, numbers that were beyond reach during the Obama years. Of course, now he's taking credit for it and saying, well, it's his fault. You know, it's his policies that caused that. Yeah, right, as if. That's why as soon as you were gone and as soon as there was a new sheriff in town, all of a sudden economic activity picked up. The country started doing better. All of us had more money to spend. All of us had more people willing to buy our services and buy our products. My gosh, what a turnaround it was. So I, once again, won't be the first time old Carl was wrong, but it looks like I was wrong about whether or not we'd ever recover from two terms of Obama. If we keep going like we're going now, I think there's a good chance that we will. I may even live to see it. But 
if we run the president out of town, we turn the Congress over to the same jacklegs that had things in the 1% range forever and, and allow them to undo everything good that's been done, if we allow them to appoint Supreme Court justices to whom the written word of the Constitution is utterly meaningless because their jobs as justices is only to make sure that their vision of justice prevails regardless of what the law says, regardless of what the Constitution says, well, then we're going to be in an entirely different kettle of fish. It's nothing less than a coup. And, you know, people say, well, he lost the election. We should do away with the Electoral College because obviously the people didn't choose him. Uh, he was selected by the Electoral College. Well, the electrical, the Electoral College protects us in Arkansas and many other places. If you just discounted California and looked at the rest of it, it was an overwhelming popular victory for Trump in the United in the forty nine United States. It was an overwhelming loss for him in our most populous state was overwhelmingly against him. Not sure what's in the air out there in California, but, man, those folks are off the deep end with liberalism. They've declared it a sanctuary state. They're more in defiance of federal law and in defiance of the federal government than any state has been since the end of the Civil War. It's an entirely new world that we're living in. The Californians... Of course, they can do what they want in their state. Federalism, good thing. But God forbid that because of their large size and heavy population that they could just swamp the rest of us and that we would have nothing to say that the people in Arkansas, the people in Iowa, the people in Kentucky, the people in Georgia, the people in Connecticut should have absolutely nothing to say about the federal government because it was going to be decided strictly by New York and California. New York and California want it. The rest of us can just tuck our tails in and go along with it. Well, that's sort of the way that it looks if we do away the Electoral College. The Electoral College was a brilliant invention of our brilliant founding fathers. I think we ought to keep it. And one reason we ought to keep it is to keep us from being overwhelmed by the very type of people that Victor Davis Hanson was talking about in his column, The Left Goes Crazier, because we had arms of the federal government, people in the Justice Department, people who were employees of the taxpayers and citizens of the United States, our employees, not in political offices, but people who were charged with seeing that justice was done in the United States on behalf of the American people. And we have those people, the Bruce Orrs, the Peter Strucks, the Lisa Pages, and I think Perhaps we may need to consider that Rod Rosenstein might have been in that bunch, too. It certainly looks like it. That are trying to use the power of the Justice Department to undo the will of the American people, first to thwart it and then to undo it. Now, that is a coup. That is a revolution. That is a cabal. That dare I say, is collusion if it wasn't treason. 
And is there not something just a little bit treasonous about trying to undo and thwart the will of the American people through a legitimate election by using these falsehoods like the Steele dossier as an excuse to have FISA warrants? And those of you who aren't familiar with the FISA courts, it makes me think of what the English called the Star Chamber. The kings of England back in the Middle Ages actually had a star-shaped chamber where they had secret meetings with the king's most important minions. And the king would lay down the law, the star chamber would hold a secret vote, and then there was a secret decree put out against whoever was going to be crushed on behalf of the government. We don't do that anymore. We're going to take a short break, be back and talk to you again in just a few minutes. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. You're listening to Carl Kimball sitting on with Dave down on the beach. Oh, Dave, you rascally rabbit you. I know that you're having a good time today, suntanning your toes and sipping on a mint julep down there on the beach somewhere at an undisclosed location, but we know you deserve it. You worked real hard for this opportunity to relax and Make good, and we're just going to stay here and hang in best we can till you get back. Never fear. Dave will be back probably Monday, I believe. And you got some guest hosts this week. I'll be in today and tomorrow. We've been talking a little bit today about the coup, the big coup that certain members of the Justice Department have tried to perpetrate on the American people. Now, an awful lot has been accused of our president, and he can be a pretty sorry president sometimes, I admit, but he's been accused of some amazingly bad things, including nothing less than colluding with the Russians to try and change the course of our elections. Now, there's absolutely zero evidence that's been brought forth by nearly two years of investigation on that fact, but we do have evidence that while the campaign was going on, employees of the United States taxpayers working in non-political positions in the Justice Department and the FBI colluded with each other and with a British spy and through the British spy with Russians in order to try and thwart the will of the American people first in the election and then once they failed to thwart it, to undo it by this continuing campaign. Uh, and of course, you know, you'd think that we'd learned our lesson. You know, the Democrats certainly had no love for special prosecutors in the days when uh, it was Kenneth Starr chasing after Bill Clinton. But oh gosh, it's just his personal life. You know, he's doing a good job. Leave the poor man alone. And so the, the, the age of expecting um, morality and good character in our presidents is sadly, sadly departed. I, I, I regret that departure, uh, believe me, much as anyone does. But uh, that day is gone now. It's one of the changes in the new America that we've made for ourselves. But hopefully we're not to the point now where people inside the government can just get away with trying to thwart the will of the people and change the outcome of an election. Now, some of these guys that we talked about in connection with the attack on the propriety of our elections by the use of the Justice Department, some of them have lost their jobs. But uh, one of them, Rod Rosenstein, is practically in charge of the Justice Department. 
Uh, poor old Jeff Sessions. Don't know how much influence he's got left or how long he's going to want to stay. But Rod Rosenstein's the number two guy, and he's been hip deep in all this stuff all along, too, and he's still there. He's still theoretically Mueller's boss. So, you know, we have a, a continuing effort to undermine the election going on. If you disagree with me, you're welcome to call in and tell me so. We'll be glad to take your call. Whether you agree or disagree, it's 823-0965 here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, we're wrapping up the first hour. We do have an interesting second hour coming up. We have Bob Porto is going to be joining us in the next hour to talk about the Arkansas general election coming up and an important amendment we're going to have a chance to vote on to restore something that was stolen from us by fraud and uh, deception. So that's going to be an interesting hour, I think. Then uh, we're going to have the Conduit for Action folks joining us by phone in the uh, four to five hour. And then the last hour, we're going to be privileged, I believe, with a visit from the brilliant Robert Steinbach, who's always one of my favorite parts of the Dave Ellswick show when he comes and talks the law. And, you know, not everybody can make the law interesting. I love the way he comes on with straight talk and the way he comes on with a good common sense. Lord knows we can always use more common sense and straight talk. Okay, polls don't look good according to Quinnipiac. That's uh, there's a little bit of a support coming up for the idea of a blue wave. Uh, I mentioned in a letter to the editor recently that even during one of those massive blue wave elections in 1992, that was an election where definitely the Democrats swamped everything. Oh, did it lead to an economic downturn too. But at that time, it was a blue wave election in '92. And yet they passed term limits overwhelmingly. So, you know, it's not a black and white issue as far as left and right. Everybody, whether you're for a conservative government, more smaller government is better, whether you believe that we need more government programs, either way, you're, you all should want honesty in your government. You should, we should all want honest elections. The late John McCain has been quite glorified and adulated in the wake of his recent demise. And he certainly had some heroic and, and worthy things to remember about him. Uh, he pushed an out, a, a piece of legislation called McCain-Feingold that was going to supposedly improve the ethics in Washington, and reduce the amount of corruption that we were facing. And so supposedly McCain-Feingold, of course it was really an incumbent protection act is what it was. It restricted our First Amendment rights. It made it much harder for non-incumbents to gain recognition because it greatly restricted the free speech rights of Americans to spend money to promote candidates other than incumbents that they wanted to get on the ballot. And uh, I told the late, great John McCain to his face when he was here in Little Rock with Feingold, kicking off that McCain-Feingold business, that if you really wanted to reduce corruption in government, you'd stop screwing around with the First Amendment and get behind term limits. Of course, that went over like a lead balloon because John, as we 
can tell now, had every intention of staying in office until his dying day, as many of them do. And and it just doesn't seem to me that it's going to serve our best interest to elect representatives and senators for life. Uh, it certainly goes against the concept that James Madison had uh, in our Constitution, especially the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives was the people's house. It was a place where people were elected from among the average citizenry. People from all walks of life would come and bring their ideas to Washington and work for a time to try and get some good ideas passed. We'll have a little bit more about that in the next hour. There's somebody that agreed with me on that by the name of Mac Faulkner. I don't know if Mac Faulkner likes to listen to the Dave Ellswick show or not, but uh, let's see, we got down about the last minute here. This is what Mac Faulkner, bless his soul, had to say. He says, I believe shorter term limits to elective office will enhance our democracy. Democracies have functioned far better than the alternative forms of government over time, primarily because they allow orderly adjustments of political positions on issues that are deemed important by voters. When we get back after the top of the hour break, I want to tell you the rest of what Mac Faulkner had to say on it. And I want to bring Bob Porto into the conversation, and he's going to talk to us a little about what we can do on this. Thank you for listening to Carl Kimball sitting in for Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. We'll be back after top of the hour news. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Sorry, Charlie, Dave's not here but while Dave's out having a good time on the beach, he's let old Carl Kimball into the station for a couple of days and some other much better guest hosts later in the week. So you'll be able to still enjoy some good conservative politics on 101.1, the answer between now and the time Dave gets back about, ah, I think it's going to be next Monday we're going to have Dave back in the saddle and Things will be much better then. But in the meantime, we do have some interesting stuff to talk about. Now, as we were closing out the hour, I was just in the process of thanking one of a dying breed, my fellow newspaper reader, Mac Faulkner. Mac, don't know if you're listening, but I hope you are. God bless you. We still need a few people to read them dead trees every day and sometimes to write in and tell people what they think about them. And here's part of what he said in the newspaper just the other day, just last week. He says, Limiting elective representation to shorter terms in office enhances this political adjustment to current issues because it allows candidates with a passion for a new issue to run against a candidate with similar opposing position. But both candidates are knowledgeable on the issue. When the voters decide when the winning candidate should have an adequate period of time to make the law that implements the voters' desire. An elected official will deal with many other issues that he may have little passion for or knowledge about. Oh, good, good, good. Hold on. I'll be getting right to him. Uh, An elected official will deal with many other issues that he may have little passion for or knowledge about. So after an appropriate period of time to champion his, her issue, the non-career representative should move on with his life outside elective office to allow others to ardently consider new voter issues. 
This makes our country decide laws issue by issue and not party by party affiliation. Shorter term limits will then enhance our democracy. I understand that we've got Mr. Faulkner with us. Are you there, Mr. Faulkner? Yeah, I am. Well, thank you so much for your wonderful letter to the editor, and thank you for calling the Dave Ellswick Show. You regular listener here? Uh, well, I have been since the term issue, term limits issue has been on the uh, front burner. Well, you're going to enjoy the next hour because i got Bob Porto here with me from Arkansas Term Limits, and he's going to take over from my wild meanderings here in just a few minutes. But since I knew we had you, I wanted to say thank you for contributing to the Dave Ellswick Show and let you tell me anything else that's on your heart about term limits or anything else. But what do you think about this, Mac? Well, I spent 10 years in elective office in 1980 to 90 on the local school boards, and, and what I said in that article was exactly what I experienced uh, during during my 10 years. And I ran five different elections, and um, what that article comes from, from my experience, basically. Um, term limits is a um, democracy enhancer, democracy saver, as far as I'm concerned. It, it gets the issues that are that are passionate to the voters uh, before them. Uh, the people that are passionate about it represent them, and they, they're knowledgeable about them. We, we dealt with 200 issues in the 10 years I was on school boards, and probably only five of that 200 was I very knowledgeable about or had very passionate positions on based on myself and voter <coughs> support. Uh, so I, to me, it's just a natural. It's the way it should be. God bless you. But on the school board, you weren't term limited out. You just decided that you'd served your time and it was time to go on and finish making a living, huh? Well, no, I was I, my sixth election I lost in a runoff. Uh, but I, I, after 10 years, I was really burned out. I, I knew what to do. I just had no passion for it anymore. And I think it showed up to the voters. They saw that. Well, I think that your letter really passionately showed how important you think it is for us to have citizen legislators who serve for a short time and then go back and live under the laws that they've saddled the rest of us with. Is that an accurate portrayal? I'd say that's more than accurate. Uh, that's exactly the way it should be well, for a democracy to function well. That's, that's why this democracy has lived 200 years, is we've been able to adjust, sometimes with a lot of pain, but we've been able to adjust from one issue to another issue Whereas you look at the governments that have failed, uh, they finally fail when you have a cataclysmic earthquake from political issues instead of an adjustment through time. And all term limits does is it make the democracy a smoother uh, way of governing uh, for the people. God bless you, Mac Faulkner. You are a good man, and I am so delighted that you called into the Dave Ellswick Show today. Any last thoughts before I let you go? No, I just want to listen. Thank you for having your show. Well, it's delightful to have you on, Mr. Faulkner, and I'm glad you wrote that letter to the editor and glad you called in today. Thank you. And now I'd like to welcome to the show, he's been sitting here patiently while I've rambled on and on about his favorite subject, but uh, welcome to Bob Porto from Arkansas Term Limits. Well, thanks for having me. 
Well, it's a pleasure. You know, I, I talked to Tim last week. I said, you know, Dave made the mistake of putting me on the air, and I got an hour I'd be glad to fill with somebody that was knowledgeable about the term limits amendment. Why don't you go ahead and start us out and tell us about the amendment that you and your friends have managed to get on the ballot? Well, what we want to do is we want to bring term limits back the way it was with some changes. And term limits came in Arkansas back in 1992, and we won the term limits on the House and the Senate. It was even with the federal, but that's a different story. And the we've had term limits for like 25 years. Then uh, the old term limits was – it was three two-year terms in the House, and it was two four-year terms in the Senate. And then they could run on both sides as well, they, but they would get maxed out at, uh, I think it was 14 years. I, I don't mm-hmm. recall. That'd be <clears throat> six and eight. Six and eight. Mm-hmm. And then um, that we, we were fine for that for the longest period of time. And then in 2014, issue three was the ethics amendment. And inside this ethics amendment, it was a fraud on the citizens of Arkansas, where on page 16, they inserted gutting term limits and took both of them to 16 years. So the now, House. There was another election in between those two affecting term limits as well, right? 2004? Yeah, in the 2004. Le- when the yeah, legislature tried to, to extend, double they, wanted they wanted to, to double, double the term limits. And, 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 and how badly was that attempt defeated? I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. We won the first election with 60% of the vote in 92. Then in 2004, when they tried to double it, we won it with 70% of the votes in all 75 counties. What makes that important is this is not a party issue. This isn't a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian. This is across the board, male, female, races. Everybody wants term limits in Arkansas. Not everybody, but the majority of them. So we know it's not a party issue. This isn't an issue that's being brought up by the Democrats to get the conservatives out of office because they now hold the office. When it happened in 92, the Democrats were saying this was a Republican effort to get us out of office. And so it's not so. It's, it's all parties want a form of term limits. So in 2014, they did a fraud on the citizens, and they stuck in gutting the term limits to 16 years in an ethics bill, and they were silent about it. They didn't talk about it. There's no press conferences. They just let the word ethics. And the, the, the ballot title ended, as I recall, with and to establish establishing term, term limits. limits, which, of course, was a fraud in and of itself yes. since we already had term limits. We already had term limits. They didn't say it was going up. They didn't say it was going to 16 years. People would see that ballot title. They'd say ethics. Ooh, I'm all for ethics. They get down to the end and say, and establish term limits. Well, I like term limits, too. I love it. Let's vote for it. And it was a complete fraud. Oh, and then let's also get our friends to sit on a committee and then allow them to determine our pay raise, which they've now received a 149% pay increase under that fraud bill. We're paying ethics. them almost two and a half times what and we were before? We, yeah. And, 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 and how much more ethical are they now than they were before based on your reading of recent news articles? Well, to go into that, the author of the ethics bill was John Woods, 
who is the convicted felon senator who's got 18 years going to prison. So this fraudulent uh, amendment that was put on the 2014 ballot that essentially doubled term limits under the guise of establishing term limits as a part of a multi uh, part, which is you're not supposed to have constitutional amendments that are more than one thing anyway, but they had the supposed ethics that didn't do anything about ethics and something else in charge of their pay raises yes. and establishing term limits by which they meant doubling term limits. And this fraudulent uh, imposition that was put on the ballot that fooled the people of Arkansas to doubling the terms was put on there by a convicted felon that we know is using his power in Arkansas government to steal taxpayer money for his own benefit, aren't we? And I believe to set an environment to where they could stay in office longer and continue doing their deeds, thankfully. And it's sad that anybody would have to go to prison, and it's sad for the families and the whole thing. But thankfully, the justice system found this out. And thankfully... The justice system is actually did action to to correct that fraud. So what we're wanting to do is to correct the fraud he did on the citizens with term limits. And so we went out and formed a ballot initiative to get the signatures, which Arkansas is one of 26 states that can do this. And then citizens can propose something to be on the ballot. We have to collect the signatures. So we collected the signatures. 135,000, 96 were approved. We needed 84,000 to get the term limits on the ballot. So you got at least in the vicinity of 100,000 Arkansas citizen taxpayers asking for us to have a chance to vote on your amendment. Yeah, we'd like to let the people have a choice up or down. And I would imagine some voters said, yeah, we'll do it. I'm not for it, but I'll sign it. But at least the people get a voice to say yay or nay. And so that's what we did. And so it's been approved by the attorney general, and it was scheduled to be on the ballot. And then we've received a lawsuit from the Chamber of Commerce and Randy Zutz. uh, I guess that's how you say his name. And so they are challenging us and using corporate censorship to keep the people from having a voice on term limits. Now, this has been my experience, and it's been a good while now since I've been directly involved in your process, but my experience was that any time that the citizens got something on the ballot that would be good for the citizens as a whole, there was some corporate ox that might be gored who was hiring people to go to the Supreme Court and try to stop the people from even being able to get a vote. Yeah, the lobbyists want to protect their long-term relationships with the legislators that carry their water. The people that make sure that uh, their voice is heard over the people's voice. They don't want to have to break in new legislators to corrupt. Yeah, and then especially if you get new legislators that aren't going to play the game. Mm -hmm. And when you get people who are in there and they become career-minded politicians, then they have to look at who's going to help them get reelected. They have to look at what it's going to take to stay in office to collect a pension. So they become mindset-minded on business of their own gain and not the business of the people that sent them. Now, if Carl Kimball had his way, which will never happen, but if Carl Kimball had his way, the retirement benefits for every elected official from president to dog catcher would be zero anyway. 
you almost wouldn't need term limits if they had to earn their retirement in the real world and could not plan on living at the taxpayer's teat for the entire lifetime that they had ahead of them. They also get, for every one year they serve, unlike the regular guys that work, in working on their pension, the lawmakers get two years credit for every one year they serve. So they're 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 patting you, I themselves. wonder who decided to do that. The people that make the law. Yeah, that's probably that probably makes sense. So, <laughs> you know, you and I can't do that kind of stuff. You know, if you if I tried to double the amount of commission I was getting on insurance, or you tried to double the amount of profit margin that you had on a roofing job, you and I'd probably end up out of business. Yeah, the free market would solve that problem. Yeah, God bless the free market. You know. Uh, but we need, I agree with you, we need to have citizen legislators, uh, in my opinion, we like Brother Faulkner, and God bless him, we need to have a legislature that goes, serves a time, and then goes back into the private sector to earn their retirement under the laws they've saddled the rest of us with. And what term limits does is when that seat comes open and they get termed out, then because an incumbent is able to use his war chest or her war chest, that they collect money. And if you want to run for office, you go look on the Secretary of State's office and see how much money they're saying that they have in their campaign war chest. And then if you got to go out there and start, you know, I have ideas, I'd like to run, and you go and you look at your district, you look at whoever it is, House or Senate, and you say, wow, they got $50,000 built up already. And I have zero. But when they're termed out, then both parties that are entering are on more stable footing to there go out go. there and sell their ideas. Because if the, if your district is a Democrat or if your district is a Republican, they're going to, you're going to get another Democrat out of a Democrat section and a Republican uh, out of a Republican section. Yeah, if the guy's elected because he stands for conservative values and that fits with the ethos of the people in that district – then, you know, theoretically, when he steps aside, they're going to elect someone else with conservative values. The marketplace of ideals is where we're able to to share them and elect those people who want to do it. And it also, with term limits, it brings the, the lawmakers back to the grassroots of the people who are they represent because they know they're there for just a period of short time. But when they know they have 16 years, they're going to start looking at who can keep me in office. Yeah. And it's, that becomes the most important thing. Yeah. the most They're raising money continuously, and they're looking at the kingmakers that can keep them there. You, you hear that about our Congress in Washington all the time. You know, I, I talked in the last hour a little about uh, one of my favorite all-time Supreme Court justices, Clarence Thomas. He wrote, I thought, a, a brilliant dissent in the Supreme Court case that eventually allowed ours to stand. Because, of course, anytime you try to restrict politicians, I mean, it's trying, like trying to restrict a raccoon. He's going to fight against it tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. And, and that tooth and nail went all the way to the Supreme Court after you guys' 92 amendment got passed. And, and you'd alluded to it earlier that when we had the original 92 amendment, it was going to affect our senators and congressmen as well. But despite Clarence Thomas' dissension, the majority of the court at that time decided 
that we had a right to limit our local representatives, but the federal representatives had to be on the same footing as everyone else, that if it wasn't a national term limit, then we couldn't do it just on ours. And so that saved some of our uh, last remaining hoary Democrat politicians to hang on for a couple of decades more before we finally swept them out in the mm-hmm. in the last 10 years or so. And uh, g- goodbye, Mr. Pryor. <laughs> but it, it, tell me a little bit more about uh, – oh, I'm sorry. We have to hold until after the break. we got to make some money. Capitalism at work. We'll be right back. Porto, whom I'm so excited about the interesting news he's bringing that I've been interrupting him constantly <laughs> with stuff, and I apologize for that. Bob, go ahead and finish your thought. You were telling us about uh, the prospects for this amendment. Do you think that you're going to win the Supreme Court case here in Arkansas to keep it on the ballot? I read in the paper that we're supposed to hear back on September the 25th that they have somebody overseeing it and to report on the 25th. So the sooner the better. Yeah. And remove uh, the uncertainty. Yeah, the uncertainty that's there. Obviously, corporate censorship doesn't want to have the people's voice viewed. Yeah. And so they're going to use the court system to try to shut down the people's choice to get things put on the ballot. So we hope we win. All right. I sure hope that you do, too. I remember when uh, one of your cohorts, Tim Jacob, and I were working on taking the food tax, grocery tax off. They took us all the way to the Supreme Court trying to keep it from getting on. And that seems to be kind of the modus operandi here in Arkansas is that when the people come in with something that they think is going to be good for them, there's always going to be some corporate interest that wants to do something undemocratic to prevent it from even being voted on. Well, you know, the Attorney General did approve this, and the re- I think we had two rewrites when we first formed this because it wasn't clear enough or it wasn't defendable enough. So we believe that the Attorney General okayed it, and I think it's more about the signatures, but we have 96,000 signatures approved. We needed 84,000. That's a lot of Arkansans that want to see this on the ballot. A total of 135,000. And we're going to be back and talk about this survey from Remington Research Group when we get back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Yes, and unfortunately, Dave's not here, but you got Carl Kimball sitting in for Dave on a beautiful Monday afternoon, and we're talking to Bob Porto from Arkansas term limits, and he was discussing issue three with us. Bob, go ahead and take it away. Issue three is going to be on the ballot, and we're going to have a choice to vote on putting term limits on our lawmakers or not. So basically, it's a do we want a term limit that could go up to 22 years for the Senate side that was promoted by a convicted felon? Or do we want to have an opportunity to vote on a ballot that we can actually put term limits on the lawmakers? So that's what we have now. And what we want to do in Issue 3 is we want to – and you can look it up. You can go to the webpage. I guess it's on there. And read – or the Secretary of State's office, and you can read Issue Number 3 – And basically, it's going to restore the three two-year terms on the House of Representatives, and it's going to restore the two four-year terms on the Senate. Which is the same as what we had from 1991 to 2015, correct? Correct. And the fraud on the citizens through John Woods and the people that passed it to get on the ballot, they raised it to 16. Well – we thought about that, and we said, well, if you want 16, we think 10's better. 
So there's a max of 10 years you can serve in any combination of it. Now, we also understand that we want to protect the rights of the votes of this election so that if somebody's would not qualify if this passes the three two-year terms on the House and the two eight-year terms on the Senate, that if you elect two four-year terms. Two four-year terms. If you elect these people in office <clears throat> and it exceeds those term limits, they're grandfathered in on that term. So we're going to respect the voters' will in this election as this changes because this will go back to the beginning of term limits to determine their qualifications to run. Now, if they're not able to fulfill the 10 years and it's a partial, then they wouldn't qualify to run in, in if they max out of their 10 years. And so the other thing that we did is we just don't trust the lawmakers. Uh, Gosh, it, I wonder why. When it comes to term limits, um, they have proven that they resist the will of the people after 92 with 60% of the voters, after 2004 with 70% of the voters, they have to use fraud in order to gut term limits and nearly triple the House from 6 to 16 and the Senate um, 8 to 16. So we are wanting them not to be able to use that deceptive mechanism in order to change term limits. If they want to change term limits, they can use our Amendment 7 of the Constitution, which is a citizen's petition, and go out in front of Walmart or Kmart or whatever store they want to, and stand there and say, I'm a lawmaker, and I want you to let me raise my term limits. Would you sign my petition? And they can collect their 84,000 signatures. And so there is a mechanism for them to change term limits. And that's what it is. You just can't do it by a voice vote without having any accountability for who voted for it. Yeah. Can't put it on with some kind of a fake. uh, Stick it on page 16 of a 22-page bill. Holy mackerel. Yeah. 22-page amendment. Amendment. To the Constitution. One-eighth the size of the Constitution, now, I believe. It's oh. the longest amendment there is in our Constitution. So that's what we were. We want the people to have an opportunity to vote on in December. But we have to get past the lawsuit that's at the Arkansas Supreme Court, and we hope that the court system will see what the Attorney General approved and that we validate, the, the which have already been validated, the signatures, that uh, the 96,000 citizens that have been approved, that their voice will be heard to put it on the ballot so that the citizens can choose if they want term limits on our lawmakers or not. And this time, I'm glad we're having a conversation because the last time, the lawmakers and most everybody was totally silent. And they just. Tim's the only one I remember talking about it last, uh, in 2014. Oh, I went around the state with a 16 foot Trojan horse. Oh, and you had the Trojan horse. I had horse. the Trojan horse. And I was getting the, all the, the free media I could get as a citizen activist trying to get above the fold of a newspaper or the TV by driving around with a Trojan horse and said, this ethic amendment is unethical. And Even here's the reasons why. And that was an uphill battle. No kidding. No kidding. But I don't think this is an uphill battle when (coughs) citizens can actually read the ballot title, and in the ballot title it's clear of what we're requesting. Well, the Supreme Court is where all of these end up. Like we talked about before, the powerful lobbyists who think that their interests will be hurt by the people getting their way are always going to fight every citizen initiative. Thank God the Supreme Court has not always taken – the wrong side on that. Now, they've kicked out uh, at least one this year. I think, sadly, the casinos are still going to be on there, but perhaps fortunately, I, 
guess they kicked Amendment 1 off, which would have put the legislature in charge of the Supreme Court, which is why I didn't like it. I thought that if there's anybody I trust less than the Supreme Court, it's got to be the legislature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but hopefully they'll hopefully they'll see the light and put it on the ballot. And if they do, gosh, you ought to be a shoe-in as long as the Supreme Court doesn't hedge you off. You well, be before, before you get to that, Randy yeah. Zutz, who filed the yeah. lawsuit – to Tell the Supreme Court was quoted <clears throat> as saying he's a lobbyist. Mm-hmm. His organization, the Chamber of Commerce, and all the ones who normally work against term limits mm-hmm. stated that we have to fight this because the lobbyists will gain too much power. Yeah, that's kind of like when the Democrats in Washington say that, gee, they're so sorry the Republican Party is destroying itself by being so conservative. If lobbyists and special interests are going to gain so much power, then why aren't they giving us money? Because we haven't seen a dime from them. (laughs) You would think that they would be supporting us. But no, they want it to appear as though they're doing Please the people's don't will. Throw me in the briar patch, <laughs> so that so that they can protect and and the lawmakers that they are the kingmakers of to keep Gosh. them in office. Because you would think that that elections are the true term limits. I used to think that until you realize that they have a war chest and you can't raise that kind of money yeah, to I fight them. The, they got the GIF money. They've got the name recognition, and then they got the lobbyists supporting oh, them and backing GIF them. And you tell me a, that term limits is, is in a election? GIF money is a for another show because it's so deep. But, yeah, you're talking about a general improvement fund is what you're referring to, I'm sure, which is essentially each district's lawmaker gets a certain percentage of a pot of money that's been set aside for him to say to his local folks, oh, look what I did for you. Yeah. Reelect me. It, yeah, and it's at their discretion, and that's that was the root of John Woods, where he built his scheme up, I believe. Uh, Ecclesia College was getting gift money, as I recall, and uh, some of it was finding its way into Mr. Woods' so, pocket. Yeah, so the ter- the issue of elections being the term limits is you wish that could be true. Amen and amen. But it's not, and I and we we know that. That's why we have Incum- to use term limits. Incumbency is such a great advantage that now the only time that you have a chance just about if you have an open seat if you have a guy retires or a guy dies so there isn't or a guy or or more likely a guy gets promoted into the senate or gets a cabinet job or something so there's an opening otherwise incumbents are very very seldom defeated yeah pre-term limits most seats were never challenged Mm -hmm. because of the power of the incumbency now, I'm trying to remember if I read a statistic on the percentage of lawyers in the legislature. Has the percentage of lawyers in the legislature not gone down? It's gone down tremendously. Because it was almost all lawyers in the 80s and 90s. What, what term limits opened up wasn't a party issue. It was more of a diversity of lifestyles. So you had women who were able to start running and getting elected. You had business people who were running. You had it, people who had jobs and you had different races and it was a diversity of thought that would in the marketplace come together and then they would get down there but then with the seniority system what happens is they'll say look you're not going to get on a committee and you're not going to get your bills passed unless you start putting our uniform on and playing by our rules if you think you're going to get any seniority then you start paying attention to what we say and what my hope is in term limits is you're going to get independent thinkers that are going to come in there and they're going to tell that seniority system to go fly off and just 
be a way because seniority we can break won't that be as up. important when nobody has very much seniority. Citizens can control our government through term limits because we limit the length of time the corruption can stay in office. And then we can open the seat and get new ideas to come in. Will we lose some good representation? Yes. But most of those good representations will come right back up as they were the example, and the people who will run will come up and replace them and do as good and maybe even better. Gosh, Bob, you make term limits sound like a good thing for the people of Arkansas. It's the best thing we can do is to protect our democracy in Arkansas. Oh, amen. I tell you, there is no corrupt politician like a corrupt politician who's been there long enough to be good at it. <laughs> well, that's the intu- in- the institutional knowledge that they claim that oh. we will lose yeah. if the term limits is enacted. Well, you know, if somebody can learn institutional knowledge, John Woods was the best example. And, and, and you know, going back an extra 20 years to the early days of term limits, when old Nick Wilson went to jail he took a lot of institutional knowledge with him, didn't he? Yeah, and if somebody wants to run for office, you know, they make sure, these lawmakers make sure that a hairdresser or uh, someone that does nails have to take a written test and get licensed. But there's no test for us to know their institutional knowledge. I have zero <laughs> clue. They're not required to have a license. They're not required to take a test. I have zero clue if we have the smartest people up here or not. I would kind of tend to vote against that. I don't know. I'd love to have somebody form a test, and then if they say that they're the smartest kid on the block, let's let them take a test. Because I have zero clue if they're smart or not. So this latest survey that I see from Remington Research Group has some interesting numbers on it regarding the prospects of this, assuming that the Supremes allow the people of Arkansas to vote on it. It's looking pretty good. It you want to talk any about the numbers in the survey? Well, you can look at it. The survey basically went out and talked about term limits, and it did its number of people that they called. And we started off, what's the first number before they asked the question? 67% were for term limits? 69% for, 18% against. So we asked a bunch of questions of the he said, she said, and to the rear, we re-asked the same question. And on the back page, there's a total of what they said after educating the people of the the, the the fours and the gents, it came out to be in the 70s. 76 support, 17 oppose. That's why the lobbyists who are wanting to, they're going to lose their control. That's why they're suing us. We're coming up on a break. Still got to make just a little bit more money this hour. And we're going to come back and finish up with Bob Porto and talk about why it's a great thing for our Kansans to have Issue 3 pass. Thank you very much for your attention. We'll be back in just a minute. Yes, welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. you got Carl Kimball here with Bob Porto. I'm so glad Bob has come in to share some of his expertise and some of his enthusiasm for what I think is one of the most important issues that's going to be on the ballot. Uh, we've still got about five minutes left to talk about it. Bob, give me uh, uh, what we've overlooked so far that the people need to know about issue three well i think issue three is uh what the will of the people wanted twice in two landslide elections in 92 60 percent of the voters voted for it that crosses all party lines this is not a party issue i think in 2004 when they went to double it it went back to the people 
I think the people spoke very clearly that they wanted their term limits and there was 70%. I think we end up having this mindset of career politicians that get into office, probably the best job they've ever had in their life. Somebody's finally giving them some respect. And I know there's good people up there. There are. But we may lose some of the good ones if that happens in term limits. But, you know, the same people that saw the value of that good representative and hopefully that good representative would mentor someone else coming up and it'd be like a long-term race instead of a career and they will just assist the next guy to come in to represent their constituents. Bob, we got someone wants to talk to you. Hello, Justin. Are you there? I am. Justin, what do you got for Bob Porto? Uh, Mr. Porto, I just want to say I appreciate all your hard work. I signed the petition uh, for the term limits. I think that it's a disgrace what these politicians and lobbyists are out here doing, out here deceiving and fooling everybody. And, you know, they just need to back up and back off and let the people have their voice. They have the right, and the people want to exercise their rights. I agree. Thank you. God bless you, Justin. Good comment. We appreciate your call. All right. Bob, what do you think about that? A lot of a lot of people think, come on, man. We've already done this twice. Why are you still trying to cheat us? Well, you know, right now, the lawsuit's what's holding us up, and that's corporate censorship. And yeah. what we need to do is to allow the people that express the will to put it on the ballot, allow it to go forward, let the courts make it right, and then get it on the ballot and let the people decide. So around 100,000 Arkansans have already asked to have the chance to vote on this. And corporate, everybody's trying to limit and make it harder so that they can fight this very issue. So if a citizen's petition is is made up and we pass the finish line, there's so many criteria that the legislators, through the special interests, have put on the ballot initiative so they always have something they can take to court. Yep. And and then and then make it harder and discourage our right under the Amendment Seven of the Constitution to have a petition drive to get it on a ballot. You know, I don't think that James Madison may have been able to foresee the situation that we're in because when we started out, congressmen didn't get a big pension. They didn't get any pension at all. The Congress originally it was composed of citizen legislators. It's what made us a unique nation. It's what made America great. We were a government of the people, by the people, and for the people because we had people, actual, honest, everyday Joes, went to Washington, represented us for a time, and then they went back to their communities and rejoined them. They didn't go to Washington to stay there for life. I was watching the... U.S. attorney that was uh, did a press conference with Michael Neal sentencing, mm-hmm. and he made this uh, Dyke Dak Keys is his name, the U.S. Senate uh, uh, attorney, and he said, "In quote, we know there are many more out there that took bribes." Oh yeah, he said that in his press conference. <clears throat> so I hope that the prosecutors will find what's evil out there and flush it out. We as citizens can do term limits, and that's our form of flushing them out as well. Some of the ones that have been doing wrong and not been getting caught at least won't be there forever until they get really good at it 
like old Nick Wilson was. It's better. Do you want 16 years or 22 actually from the Senate, or do you want 10? I think I'll take 10. And and if we have time, also remember that the the uh, House gets three two-year terms and the Senate gets two four-year terms. Mm-hmm. There's 100 House seats and there's 35 Senate seats. Mm-hmm. So the odds of fitting 100 into 35 seats, not all are going to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. So in essence, even if they wanted to, the their, their, their term limit of their seat is all they're really going to serve. There may be a combination of a senator that could run over and serve on the House, but the, the odds of 100 representatives serving in uh, uh, 35 seats of a Senate, very few would be able to achieve that if it was even possible. So the, the term limits of the six and the eight is normally what it would be. When this was being formed, my goal wasn't 10. Mine was eight. <laughs> Because I figured, compromised, huh? yeah, I compromised. I, I went up to ten. Well, uh, let's flush them out. Uh, but like I told you before during the break, anytime you try to limit a politician's ability to continue his self-glorification, you're going to be like picking up a live raccoon. It's going to be teeth and claws and biting and scratching and kicking all the way. But I'm so grateful that we've got good upstanding citizens like yourself and like the other folks on the Arkansas Term Limits Committee that are willing to fight to establish this basic tenet of true democracy, that we don't have a ruling class. We have citizen legislators. The real workers are out there, the ones that aren't seen, and the ones that did the petition drive and worked hard and gave a lot. Um, There's Tom, who's the chairman of this drive, worked tirelessly. There's so many people out there. I'm just a spokesperson. I'm, you know, I'm the guy that's just speaking. Now, I know that the hard work's already done, but you probably could still use contributions to cover the cost of this big support. Termlimit.org. Tell us. We've got about a half a minute left. Tell us how to get hold of you. Termlimit.org. Not not Arkansas Term? Arkansas Term Limit. Arkansas Arkansas Term Limits or Limit? Limits. ArkansasTermLimits.org. Go on and see what you can do to help out in this great cause. Thank you so much for being with us today, Bob. I really enjoyed talking to you. You're a man after my own heart, and I appreciate your being here on the Dave Ellswick Show today. Thank you. You've been listening to 101.1 The Answer, and we'll be back after the top of the hour break. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. Carl Kimball, delighted to be subbing in today and tomorrow for the vacationing Dave Ellswick. Dave, work on your tan and... Don't think about politics for a change. we got someone here to do it for you. And it's such a privilege to sit in for Dave. And, of course, one of the big reasons is I get to lean on Dave's wonderful connections to so many outstanding Arkansans and others who contribute so much to our democracy by their hard work, their dedication. And we're privileged to have with us today, uh, as usual, on a Monday afternoon, one of the good folks from Conduit for action, Brenda Vassar-Taylor. Brenda, are you with us? I am. It's delightful to have you on the show with us. You know, I was listening to you and uh, the other man that was on with you last week, and you were talking about some of the difficulties that you were having dealing with county Republican committees. I said, man, this sounds so familiar. You know, when I ran the Axe the Food Tax campaign in 2001-2002, 
one of my most unbrilliant and unsuccessful brainstorms was I thought, hey, I'm trying to cut taxes. Republicans are for cutting taxes. I'll go to Republican committees and ask them to help me. And I I kept thinking I'd gone to the wrong place because I'd go to these Republican county committees and the first thing they'd say is, well, how are you going to replace that money? Uh, we can't cut the size of government. We can't cut taxes. I'm going, wait a minute. Where did I end up? It was, a, it was certainly uh, an educational thing. It was, uh, it was not very successful. But, gosh, I was out there trying. And I understand that you and your group have been spending a lot of time trying to work with these uh, local county Republican committees as well. Tell us more about what's been going on with your recent efforts. Well, when we get in front of a committee, uh, any place across the state, uh, we identify with the people in the seats, sort of like going to a church and, you know, the, the people in the pews get it, and, uh, but not necessarily the leadership, and certainly the leadership that follows um, the big government preferences. And uh, But when the people hear us uh, and hear what we, we talk about, we talk about Republican principles, smaller government, less dependency on government, don't spend money you don't have. And uh, it's very well received, And but what we like to do is show the voting record of their legislators. You know, if, if you uh, like what they're doing, if you, if you like these votes, here they are. I mean, we don't change the votes. We just report the votes. No, Brenda, I'd like you just to back up. I mean, I'm just stunned by how, how, how wonderfully you said it. Tell me again you, what, what your principles were about lower government and less taxes. What was that? Give me that, give me that uh, statement of principles again. I thought that was just wonderful. Conduit for Commerce has a, uh, what we call an economic freedom filter. And we've put together a short article that we've shared with everyone who will listen, but all of the legislators, that when you want to decide whether legislation is good legislation or bad, <clears throat> if you want to compare it to conservative, limited government principles, you'll look at the legislation and you'll, you'll figure out whether it grows government, you know, the size of government, does it make it larger, does it grow dependency on government? You know, more people are depending on government for what, whatever it is they want or need. And does it spend money we don't have? And if it does one of those three things, then it's a bad bill. And if it does, you know, if it, if it stops and does the reverse of that, it's a great bill. Boy, that's clarity and common sense. You just don't get anywhere near enough clarity and common sense in the media or especially in in the houses of uh, legislature in this country, it seems like, anymore. Tell me some of the things that you've been working on lately. We have um, Conduit News. Uh, we, we released um, a, a new organization, sort of a hub for our different entities. Conduit News uh, was rolled out to the public as, as uh, you know, with Paul Harold's news radio show that comes on every morning on your station that we're on right now from six to eight every morning, but also the conduitnews.com is a source to get all of our different publications. But today, an article, Conduit for Action, um, came out with an article: Can the legislature police itself? Now, we've all been reading about uh, the Catholic Church and the leadership in the Catholic Church. Certainly oh, not boy. the Catholic faith. But, but the leadership, and I've been uh, stricken by the comparison of the leadership in the church hiding the sins, uh, the, mis- the, the criminal activity of the leaders, those that we put trust in, um, and how similar that 
that's reflected in our leadership in the Republican Party. And our solutions that our, our establishment leadership is giving us is, hey, let us take care of this. It, it'll be okay. We've got it, you know. And this article, Can the Legislature Police Itself, I think really tags that, well, they haven't so far. Now, why is it we think they can all of a sudden? I was trying to think of one good reason why I should think that the legislature could police itself, and I can't think of one. Well, um, we, uh, Joe Joe Maynard, my partner in Conduit, and I have been working at this uh, intentionally in Little Rock at the Marble Palace, as we like to call it, since 2012. We've learned a lot that we wish we didn't know. Uh, but we have learned one strategy is when people have had enough and they, they sort of rise up, they're going to take care of this, change some things. We've noticed that um, the leadership that wants things to stay the same rushes out and gets in front to lead the parade to redirect it, so to speak. And I think that's what's been happening here in, in the leadership in the Senate. Uh, I think the, the plea agreements, the uh, convictions the people going to prison, we have a big hit from Arkansas Senate. We only have 35 senators, for crying out loud. Uh, when you look at the numbers, it's very humiliating, embarrassing. Uh, it makes us all hang our heads. We need to quit doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. Our previous guest had insinuated that the number that have been caught barely represent the tip of the iceberg of the ones that have been benefiting by some of these schemes? I think Sunday there was an op-ed in the editorial page in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Legislative Reckoning, and it it mentioned how Judge um, Brooks, uh, Tim Brooks, had um, gone very light and um, made Mike O'Neill maybe the poster child for, hey, come clean, you know, as Paul likes to say it, tattle on each other, and uh, you'll get this behind you, and you will be rewarded because you have, um, you know, helped uh, justice be served finally. But the one thing I got from the article is there's a lot more to come, and I certainly hope so because, you know, like I said, Joe and I have been talking with our um, 135 legislators. They've told us numerous times of activity that they knew was going on. And so far, what we've seen happening, you know, most of which they've reported, except that like preferred uh, family health services, I don't, I don't think anybody really understood the depth and breadth of that operation. Um, and to think that, you know, that might be something else or several branches of something to that level is not outside of imagination. No, certainly is not. Well, is there a specific issue that you've been working? You see, you're talking with all 135. What issues are you mostly working with them on right now? We started, uh, you know, we were very uh, active in 2014 helping uh, Republicans get elected. And our organization is not um, party-oriented. We're principle-oriented. We're not after certain personalities. We want smaller government. I think that... Um, the reason we have uh, all of this culture of corruption in Arkansas right now is because $2 billion just fell out of the sky, you know? <laughs> and uh, more, too much money, uh, you know, means too much corruption. I had written an article um, in November 2015, um, Influence Peddling in Arkansas and How to Reduce It, and 
to reduce the size of government, you know, cut off the flow uh, to government, reduce the revenue. And with the revenue That was Ronald Reagan's Act, theory, too. Yeah, they're going to spend every penny under because of the way our budget's set up. Every penny that comes in will be spent. That's, that's the way it's set up to happen. And so we have to uh, cut off the flow, you know, reduce the taxes. And like you said, the Republicans maybe would say, well, wh- what are you going to do then? How are you going to, you know, we need to prioritize. If we would um, focus on letting legislators do what we elect them to do, which is focus on the budget and prioritize how we spend our money, rather than saying, oh, we need this, how can we get more money for it, that being always the default answer, we need to, you know, maybe say in the beginning how much we're willing to pay for government and then uh, decide how we're going to spend that amount of money. Joe and I, so we focus on the state of Arkansas and it taking in less money. Is that that article that you mentioned uh, available on conduitnews.com? It's available at conduitforaction.org. And I think you could search and uh, uh, influence peddling in Arkansas. Uh, I think it's actually the name of it is the cure for influence peddling in Arkansas. And Carl, what's amazing is now this was November 2015. Uh, many of the people who are now going to prison uh, are mentioned in that article. And you know we blew the whistle. We're trying to draw attention to what people have been knowing and look at this. Um, and I think that. We still have much reckoning to do, uh, but conduit is considered, you know, the the bad guy in all this. When you talk to our establishment, and I think that's very sad because you're rocking the boat. Yeah, if we don't stand up and as, as and I'm not talking as a Republican, but if I were, we were talking about Republican committees. They need to start poli- the Republican committee at the local level needs to start policing itself. If it doesn't. The other parties will police it for them by helping to elect other, you know, people from a different party, and it needs to happen. Well, I can't see myself going back to voting for Democrats based on the way that that they've behaved and what they apparently all stand for now, which seems to be about the opposite of what I believe. But when you try to find someone to go against the Republicans from the other side, it's sure not easy. The Libertarians don't even run candidates in most of the races. Uh, They usually have someone for governor and sometimes for the congressional seats. But uh, I I wish we would see the Libertarian Party be more active in, in running for these local offices to put some heat on the Republicans, hold their feet to the fire, because they've proven themselves, the Republican Party's proven a very frail reed upon which to rest our hopes for liberty. Well, that's true, and what it will do eventually, you may not switch to the Democrat Party, you may just not vote. And uh, there are plenty of Democrats who will, and what we saw in one, one race in Russellville uh, they're happy to cross over party lines since we do have open primaries in Arkansas and vote for that liberal um, establishment or special interest Republican who will who will vote with the Democrats when it really gets to that level. Well, I sure do admire you guys for the amount of uh, time and effort that you're putting into local and state politics. It's not an easy thing to do. And we want to talk to you some more about it, but we've got to make some money right now. So if you don't mind holding on, please, Brenda, we'll be back right after this break. And welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show here on 101.1 The Answer. We've been 
privilege to be visiting with an activist in state and local politics, Ms. Brenda Vassar-Taylor from various conduits, Conduit for Action, Conduit News. Brenda, you still with us? I am. Thank you. For those of us who are not as familiar with your organizations, would you please tell us the difference between Conduit News and Conduit for Action and any other various conduits that are part of your organization? I certainly will, Carl. Conduit for Commerce is our, um, I would I would say, policy foundation is how we describe it. But we're mm-hmm. only focused on Arkansas, and we're focused on reaching small business, teaching those small business principles to our legislators. So Conduit for Commerce will um, support and educate concerning good small business policies. And so that's Conduit for Commerce. It's a nonprofit. It certainly can uh, can and loves to accept uh, donations, contributions. It, it will uh, tax-deductible contributions. And then there's Conduit for Action, which I mentioned is the site where the article that came out today uh, can be found. And it is an issue-focused organization, and it actually is legal for Conduit for Action to lobby and uh, to you know, try to convince uh, legislators or other uh, areas of government why a certain policy is best for small business. So those are the two uh, foundational pieces. There's also, we have a nonprofit Arkansas Economic Defense Fund, which, again, is a 501c3 organization. Contributions are tax-deductible. And uh, that organization will go in and defend or fight a legislation uh, or, or to try to stop legislation that is bad for small business. And um, we've been involved in a couple of actions against um, county uh, quorum courts where they were trying to pass uh, taxes that we felt like and, and uh, tried to prove in court that were not uh, for the best interest of the public and felt like they were not passed under under uh, the requirements of the law. And, of course, both of those um lawsuits, we, we were defeated immediately, and uh, we got first-page press and TV coverage to the point that once those um, issues were placed on the ballot, they lost big time. And so we learned there's more than one way to win an issue, not just from a ruling of a one man in the uh, courtroom. And the Conduit News is a relatively newer part of the organization? It is. Conduit News is our um, information hub, if you will. That's where we, we realize that, you know, there are too many conduits to keep up with. So we wanted one umbrella where people can get the news that we think affects the issues that we care about. Where do you go? Not just something that conduit one of the conduits has written, but maybe other things. You can find our videos. You can find Paul's show. Uh, so that's a good find, place to start, uh, you know, then. information on, on day, just a variety um, of, of the kind of information that our issues are focused on, all under one umbrella. So the Conduit News um, Group is a way to get – we had a lady – Joe and I were at a Republican women's meeting uh, last month, and a lady raised her hand, and she said, well, where do I get – you know, where do I learn more about what's happening in the world? Not just, you know, not just from conduit, but where else can I learn it? You know, she was describing every reason why we had created conduit news. You know, she she just didn't know what all we had there. So it's a it's a good place to visit. We're like I said, we're new, but um, 
and you know we also have guest um, uh, writers for Conduit News. So uh, we we hope that it'll grow a lot over the last year, like it has just grown over the last few weeks. Boy, I'm all for having more and more of our fellow Arkansans involved in trying to encourage our legislators to believe in the kind of things that we thought were the bedrock principles of the Republican Party. Smaller government, limited uh, intrusions into our private life by the government, and, and limiting the amount of our own money that we earn that we can spend at our own discretion. Well, you know, one thing that we found out is a big deal is the level of transparency or lack thereof when we're trying to have good government. And uh, one of the first things that caught my attention was to go into a committee meeting and find out that the votes are not recorded, and you have to ask for a roll call if you want to see how anyone voted. And, of course, there's supposed to be a quorum there to even have votes, and often the chairman will declare a quorum when there's it's obvious maybe only a third of the membership is even present, so when there's a vote after that, and you know, and he hears, he or she hears that, uh, yeah, I got you know six. Um, Excuse me, Brenda. 11. We're coming up on a hard break. We'll be right back after the bottom of the hour news. And welcome back to another Monday edition of the Dave Ellswick Show on one hundred one point one. Carl Kimball sitting in for the vacationing Dave, and I've got the privilege of speaking with Brenda Vassar Taylor from Conduit for Action Conduit News. Conduit for Commerce. Gosh, I love all this stuff. Uh, I tell you what, if you would like to join the conversation, if you're interested in talking to Brenda, you're welcome to give us a call at 823-0965, 823-0965. If you want to put in your two cents worth, we'll be glad to hear from you. Meantime, we're glad to have Brenda with us. You still with us, Brenda? I am, Carl. Thank you. You know, in the last hour, we talked a lot about term limits. And one thing that I think would be great about term limits is that it would bring more small business people into the Congress or into the legislature in our in our case, bring in more people that were going to be there for a short time and then go out to live and earn their retirement working under the laws they saddled the rest of us with. I think that if we had more temporary legislators, those were going to serve a short time and then return to the real world, I think we'd get more sensible laws. Do you? Rex Nelson uh, wrote a piece in last week's Arkansas Democrat, Democrat Gazette and made that point. He said, what happened to legislators who didn't need the job, who had other professions, and just did it as a service part-time? And I do think that that is clearly a line in the sand when our legislators became those who only had the $15,000 job at the legislature and uh, decided to hold on to it with all their might. Plus so does you know, problems. Yeah, plus per diem. Some of those guys make an awful lot on per diem, I understand. Well, absolutely. If you get mileage, plus every day you show up, and, you know, Rex made a, quite a statement when he described that. And, you know, I, I understand that when you drive across the state that it's a sacrifice. Um, I even thought today about maybe we, we change that 40 dollars salary in per diem to something, you know, calculate where a person lives and uh, set their salary at that for, you know, considering that. And then they're not incentivized to show up in Little Rock just to get a check. 
Yeah, and uh, it does seem like they have an awful lot of committee meetings in Little Rock for these folks to go to. And, and some of them, I understand, I'm trying to remember, I, I read that Rex Nelson column, and I've got a couple of his here, but I didn't bring that one, unfortunately. Uh, but it seems to me, I think it was, that that's where I read it, that some of these guys, they show up and sign in so they get their per diem, and then they take off. They don't even stay for the meeting. Well, that's right, and um, David Ferguson is a person who uh, worked with the Bureau of Legislative Research and was the director for the last six years. He was with them. He works with Conduit for Action now, writes a lot of our our, th- our articles. But he, he used to always talk about that to me and say, especially during Christmas, you'd have a lot of legislators just show up so they could do their Christmas shopping. You know, they'd come in. But that, that start, it started being so that um, you would get paid to show up to attend any committee meeting, not even one on which you were a member. Oh, and I so didn't know that. You can get paid to be there, and you're not on a member, uh, you're not a voting member of the committee. Uh, we've, got, we've got some issues, I think. No kidding. It's like a Little Rock vacation at the taxpayer expense, huh? Yes, yes. And uh, so we really do need, uh, Arkansas would benefit from people from a variety of vocations coming in for a short period of time. So I, too, am in favor of the uh, reducing the term limits back closer to where they were before they were changed in November 2014. Yeah, uh, I understand that we have a much greater uh, variety of occupations represented in the legislature now than we did before term limits came in in 93 after the big blue wave election that brought in President Clinton and term limits for Arkansas. I know uh, David had told, given me a statistic. He said that there used to be 22 attorneys in the Senate, and there are only 35 positions. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> pretty, that's a pretty heavy load. You know what it is now? What? Uh, how many how many attorneys there are in the Senate now? I mean, I, I think I, I could guess. I could add them up if I were to think about it. But, <laughs> you, you probably know, know them five, all. I would assume in the Senate. Uh, in the House, there are, what, three or four, five? You know, I I, uh, I should know. And like I said, I could easily count it. But I have I guess I've resisted it as an attorney myself. Uh, my my uh, business partner, Joe Maynard, uh, challenges my um, – love toward attorneys almost every day he has, <laughs> he's a manufacturer and you know he thinks there should be a law against having one more yeah well it does seem like with two law schools in the state we're cranking them out somewhat faster than we need them perhaps <laughs> i had a, a friend to just send me an email it's kind of interesting when we talk about you asked earlier about the uh, the goals and how you know what the issues were that conduit focused on and I told you, just reducing the amount of money that comes into the state, in other words, reducing taxes is the only way to reduce that flow. But um, transparency, we were talking about that just before the break. And, you know, transparency is there so you can see how your legislator votes or you want it to be there so you can hold them accountable for how they vote. Uh, but also to see if they have an interest in the legislation that they're passing. Because we know human nature, and we do not want people passing laws in order to benefit themselves personally or to harm their uh, competitor, right? Well, shocks. You'd think that would go without saying, wouldn't you? Well, a friend of mine just emailed me, since I've been sitting here talking with you, 
an ordinance that was passed in 1985 in the city of Russellville, and for heaven's sake, I would not want to embarrass them. I have no idea if it's still on the books, but I just have to read it to you. It says, City aldermen and corporations in which an alderman holds an executive or managerial office or corporation in which a controlling interest is held by an alderman are hereby authorized to enter into contracts with the city for the finishing, uh, furnishing of supplies, equipment, or services. It's hereby found and determined that the provisions of the state statute are unduly restrictive, especially as applied to Russellville, that the public interest will best be served by permitting council members to have a financial interest in contracts entered into with the city. <laughs> that's almost laughable, isn't it? Well, that's kind of a mouthful, but it sounds like an open door for corruption, doesn't it? Oh, it sounds like a legal pa- a, li- a bill for corruption, I should say. Well... Yeah, we've got so much of this goes on here, and uh, gosh. Um, now, what do you think we should do to start dialing it back? I mean, what would you do, Carl? Uh, that's a darn good question. I, like I said, the term limits would be the number one thing. And, of course, the number two thing for me would be abolishing all uh, pension whatsoever for every elected official. If it was up to old Carl, from president to dog catcher, if you were an elected official— you'd have a zero retirement. That way, you'd have an incentive to go out and earn your retirement doing something else. Well, that's a good point. I think I was the only person that I heard mentioned the, when the term limits were extended, you never heard it mentioned that this increased the possibility for legislators to get vested into the pension plan. Yeah, which that's, that's corrupt enough to start with. It's bad enough they get two years for one, even though it's a supposed part-time job, and... Uh, that just seems ridiculous to me. It seems like an imposition on the people of the state of Arkansas for these folks to go up there and spend years and years there and then get a pension for the time that they served us. It's supposed to be public service. Public service shouldn't be personal enrichment. I'm not against personal enrichment if you're doing it in honest ways, but I think you ought to be doing it outside of government. Well, there are some contradictions the more you learn about government when they are public servants and you learn that they have benefits that the public would never have. Small business doesn't have the kind of uh, retirement benefits. There's no way. And also, uh, you know, while we're talking about the wish list to how to uh, cure corruption in Arkansas, uh, government lobbyists, I mean, you know, the the different um, agencies of government to think that they have their own lobbyists that they don't pay for them, this, the taxpayers paying the bill. I mean, they're one. They're some of the strongest lobbyists that the state has. Well, are you talking about the? You're talking about when state agencies lobby the legislature. Correct. Now, I, I, that's my friend Tim Jacobs, real bugaboo, and I, I'm with him. He says we're paying them to lobby against us with our money to lobby against our interests. That's that's gone way too far. I'm I'm completely against uh, state agencies becoming major lobbying organizations. Uh, and you were talking about transparency earlier. There's a precious little of that, it seems like. And and even where there are recorded votes, a lot of times you don't really know if they really passed them. I remember back in the '80s, as a relatively idealistic young man showing up at the 
Arkansas legislature to watch how things worked and seeing during the non-controversial bills session, they would have guys get up in a half-empty chamber and, oh, well, you know, the banking lobby says this is a good idea and so I think we just ought to vote for it. And then guys would throw their own switch and they'd lean over and throw the switch in the empty seat to their left and they'd lean over and throw the switch to the empty seat from the right and lo and behold it was 96 to nothing without 50 people in the chamber so you know I, it's been a, for a long yes. for a long time we, we can't really tell how these guys are voting even by even by looking at what's recorded i was talking to a, a state senator in tennessee he was head of the uh, the health committee, and he was giving me some advice during the Medicaid expansion battle early in 2014, and he said, Brenda, just, just get them on the record, you know, bring it up in committee and get them on the record, you know, at least they'll have to vote, and when I told him that the votes were not recorded in Arkansas on our committees, he just, I could feel, I could just envision him falling backward in his chair. He thought, Arkansas, how in the world did we end up continuing to be that blind to how government oh, works. Gosh. So it sounds like you're more or less familiar with at least some of our surrounding states in things like transparency and government corruption. Do you think that Arkansas is on a par with or worse than or better than the other states around us? Well, sadly, and I've lived in Arkansas my entire life. I was born here, so it's not like I went you know, to find the best state I could move to from different perspectives. But, you know, I love my state, and I want it to be the best it can be. And we, we always complain that we're number 49th, or, you know, thank God for Mississippi. Oh, I've said that many times. But, you know, that's not funny. There are things that we can do to stop um, no, cor- corruption in our government, and we just decide not to do that. We could do things to stop the dependency on government and to improve the education of our children, which is maybe where the second one, you know, the And first Brenda, I'd really like for you to talk a little more about those things right after the Dave Ellswick Show tries to make an honest capitalistic buck here. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show with Carl Kimball and Brenda Vassar-Taylor. And I appreciate your sticking with us, Brenda, while we tried to earn a couple bucks to pay vacation pay to Dave Ellswick, who's enjoying himself today, I'm sure. But thank you for being with us. And before we interrupted you, you were giving us a little comparison about how Arkansas stacks up in its transparency and good government laws compared to other states around us, I believe. Arkansas has one of the strongest uh, FOIA laws in the country. Uh, I think that was passed during the time of Winthrop Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. And, Correct. Um, you know, it's it's great. That is that is a wonderful uh, thing when when the public can quickly find out what their government is up to. And sadly, this last session, we saw a lot of uh, legislators who were interested in limiting that um, exposure or transparency. So hopefully. Yeah, I read about that. that Were they they weren't successful, were they? I'm sorry? They were not successful in restricting the FOIA last session, were they? They were not, and I hope that they don't come back again. I was sad to see Bob Ballinger leading the charge for that. He's now a senator or a senator elect, and hopefully uh, his representing Ecclesia College will dampen his enthusiasm to go further down that direction. Oh, brother. Yeah. And and then other areas that uh Arkansas how it compares to other states. You know, we we uh per per capita we're 
We're spending more money per capita than any of the surrounding states um, on our population from government from government dollar perspective, which means that um, you know the money's coming from someplace. So we we are receiving a lot of federal dollars. Uh, we are upside down from that perspective. Um, how would how would we change that? You know, Carl. I guess you know we see how we compare to other states, but how could we change it? And I would. I would think that small business would be the beginning of the uh, answer for that, whether it be through education, which we were just starting to talk about. But I always felt like Arkansas was so interested in maintaining power in those who have the power uh, currently that they were not willing to think outside the box. As a tax attorney, you know, through the years I've looked at other states and their business-friendly laws that they pass, they'll pass a a group of bills that will increase um, business. And, and with this new tax uh, task force that we've had, I was hoping we would do things like look at the uh, depreciation schedule or look at something similar to Section 179 depreciation, where if a business uh, purchases maybe a half a million dollar piece of equipment, that they could deduct all of that in one year. In With the federal um, tax policy, you can do that and even more so after Trump's uh, change of tax policy. But Arkansas has refused to give businesses a leg up. But, you know, you do read a lot about the uh, quick action closing fund that the governor has. That's just for big businesses, though, right? (laughs) Well, it's almost like it's just for businesses that the legislators want to give money to or that the governor wants to give money to. It, It breeds itself with cronyism and there's no real the the article written by um bundrich uh, jo- uh jacob bundrich in the paper on friday uh focused on how we need to improve the reporting he made the point that that's a bad um you know we need to end the quick action closing fund period but if we have to have it why not be able to find where the money goes and of course, the state um, we had Warren Sabin trying to pass legislation back in 2017 to allow us to build a database where the public could go on website and see who got the money. And um, quickly stepping in front of that was the economic development and saying, "Oh wait, we already have that on our list. We're going to do that." And asked the other day, J- uh, Jacob, re- you know, responds that they still haven't done it. And you have things like, "Oh well." We're having to wade through proprietary information that these companies have, and we can't dare, you know, tell any of their confidential information. Well, I would say sort of like I would tell Ecclesia College, once you take government money, anything you do with that money no longer is private or, or, you know, confidential or proprietary. It should belong to the people of Arkansas. I see what you mean. Quite the opposite of the way Hillsdale College approaches it, where they don't want any government money because they don't want any of the strings that come with it. Uh, It's kind of like wanting to have your cake and eat it, too. I did read and have that uh, article by Jacob Bundrick from uh, Friday, and that was a great article. I tell you, if I needed any convincing, he convinced me that the Quick Action Closing Fund is um, not good for Arkansas. It's not good for Arkansas, and any tax incentives that give money from the tax-paying companies in Arkansas, and if they're a taxpayer, that means they're making enough money to pay taxes, so they're, they're successful at some level, and we're taking their tax dollars 
to give to another company to come in and start a business to be their competitor, not only to take their money to use that to start a competitor against them, but with no uh, workforce available, they're all, we're also giving them the taxpayers' dollars to hire out from under the, them their own employees. And there's really not any guarantee that any of the promised jobs will ever actually be created. Well, not only are there no guarantees, but there's currently no way to find out if that ever happened, and there's no accountability. Sort of like uh, when I got into reading and researching the Ecclesia College, and I keep bringing that up because it's something that that's a major that we corruption. See how that that worked out? Yeah, um, you couldn't. You know, you weren't entitled to find. You know where the money went. That wasn't your your business. Had we been able to get those documents, and the state of Arkansas had Ecclesia sign a document that says, we're going to audit you within the next three years, so hold on to your documents. But guess what? There was never an audit. And Hmm. now in the paper the last few days, suddenly the governor agrees with the attorney general that they need to go after Ecclesia to get their money back. Well, why hadn't there been audits on that, you know? I know that uh, the government claims we don't have enough people to do all of this work, but if you have enough people to write a check and give money away, you shouldn't give it away if you don't have enough people to audit the paper trail afterward. It's hard to imagine our government not having enough people. <laughs> Every building downtown's full of bureaucrats. There's got to be somebody that can do that stuff working for the government. Well, and, you know, we do have a lot of... Uh, I mean, there again, what are our priorities in government? You know, where, what's the basic mission of government? What should it be doing? And then let's focus on doing that, just like talking about the Department of Corrections and five people dying in one week. I don't know about you, but that, that's very frightening to me. I don't have anyone in prison or relative or know anyone there, but I don't want that happening to people in our prisons. Well, I want to remind everyone that we're talking with uh, Brenda Vassar-Taylor from The Conduits, Conduit for Commerce, etc. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're delighted that you were able to come on, Brenda. Thank you, Carl. It's great to be here and good to get to know you. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. And here we are in the final hour coming up a little after 5 o'clock on a beautiful Monday afternoon in my hometown, Little Rock, Arkansas. Carl Kimball in for Dave and enjoying the opportunity to meet in person and introduce once again to the Dave Ellswick audience one of the most interesting guests I think he has, Robert Steinbach. Did I pronounce that correctly? Indeed. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here with you. Thank you. Well, and, and I wish that I had memorized Dave's little spiel about uh, the opinions you're about to hear being Robert Steinbach's alone and not necessarily those of his employer, uh, which is the, the University of Arkansas Law School. That's right. That's right. And I think you nailed it. So good for you. Well, you know, that, that's all I'm doing, spouting my opinions here, and I'm sure I made a few people mad today and maybe got a couple of write-ons, but here we are on Dave Ellswick's show, and I know that you get together and straighten Dave out on some of his ideas regarding uh, legal opinions, and there's always a lot of legal stuff going on. I, I had a, a guest in the last hour talking about, about all the lawyers we used to have in the legislature, and we don't have quite as many as we used to, but we've still got two law schools pumping out a new batch every Every year, so uh, there are always plenty of things for them to do to make sure that the rest of us have to stay on our toes and need to know the law ourselves. Indeed. What's new in the legal scene 
this week that you are interested in talking to Dave's audience about? Well, there's so much uh, indeed, right? And of course, the Kavanaugh nomination is what we're seeing right now. And uh, I think there's no doubt that he'll be confirmed, even with this most recent uh, controversy sort of coming in at the last minute. Gosh. Uh, but there's, you know, the the broader question is, um, you, you, you see the hair pulling uh, and face melting by the liberals all the time about President Trump and... They say that conservatives, oh, they, conservatives have sold out to Donald Trump. He's not a real conservative. Uh, I'm always cautious when someone on the other side tells me whether or not a representative of mine is on my side. <laughs> now, now uh, I'll grant you this. Uh, uh, Donald Trump is from New York. Republicans from New York, uh, in the first place, tend to be a little bit different in their politics overall than Republicans from across the country. And Donald Trump has quite admittedly said, well, I was a Democrat. And by the way, I was I gave to Republicans and Democrats because I understood how the game was played. Uh, but the fact is, the proof is in the pudding. And so when you hear these leftists and some of these kind of uh, the, these never Trumper Republicans saying, oh, he's not a conservative. He's now on his second conservative um, Supreme Court nomination. Now, either you want that or you don't want that. Liberals don't want that. Oh, right? no. And conservatives do. So if you're a conservative, you voted for Donald Trump, and call him a Republican, call him a Democrat, call him a potato, call him whatever you <laughs> want, right? But here's the thing. When you vote for your candidate as a conservative, what do you want? Amongst other things, you want that president to appoint conservative justices to the Supreme Court, and indeed, conservative judges across the board. He's done it. So, you know, that's probably been his most widely acclaimed accomplishment. Absolutely. And he's been more successful at it than the than Obama was on the liberal side and virtually every other president in recent history. He has been putting conservative judges on the courts at an extremely rapid pace. So when these never Trumper so-called Republicans, eh, let them call themselves Republicans. I don't care. They can call themselves a banana. Uh, but when they say, <laughs> right, they say, oh, Trump's not a real conservative. Well, to me, I care about results. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that President Trump has said is promises made, promises kept. And he goes, sort of goes through his list, right? So take, for example, putting the embassy in Jerusalem. Here's what's interesting about putting the embassy in Jerusalem. Republicans and Democrats alike have pledged this. Uh, it's been the law since 1996, I think. Exactly. Exactly. And yet they always seem to stumble on some way to find an exception. Uh, so when they, when, they, when they attack him for not telling the truth, what were they doing when they promised to move the embassy and never even came close? He comes in and he says... I don't see what the big deal is. I promised it. Everybody else promised it. I'm doing it. And then, then both, by the way, the, the establishment Republicans and the Democrats said, no, you know, that slow motion reach where they grow, grab for it in the movies. What do you mean? No, you're the guys that promised this. What you, so were you lying? And of course the answer is yes. Why in the world should Israel be the only country in the entire world right. that doesn't get to choose its own capital? Exactly. Exactly. Now, look, and here's the other thing. We recognize, we as an Americans recognize that Jerusalem should be and is their capital. So it's not, you are 100% right. They get to choose their capital. And by the way, 
We agree with them. And one thing that drove me crazy, too, is they say, oh, if you do that, you're going to make it harder right. to find peace. Right, because it was just Arab- around the corner. I, I said, wait a minute. The peace. I'm gonna say, wait, yeah. Is this going to make the Arabs hate the Jews even more? Right. What's I mean, more than 100%? How much, right? how much more could they hate them than they already hate them? Exactly, exactly. And remember, Israel turned over the Gaza Strip uh, to yeah. the Arabs. Yeah, they did, they made How'd a that work out? And, and they right. turned it over to them full of hospitals and schools, That's right. which they tore down. That's right. And American taxpayers have paid for for tons and tons of concrete for them to rebuild them, but they've used it to build tunnels into Israel to perpetrate terror attacks instead. So when when Trump says. That's it for money to to them, right? I say about time. Right. What took us so long? Right, right. And he said something similar uh, to Pakistan regarding terrorism. Uh, it's I don't understand this notion of politics where Obama and and and, Repub- and establishment Republicans for domestic consumption would say, "Oh, well, Pakistan has to do this, or such and such has to do that," and then. They keep writing those checks. Why? Because they're not their checks, right? They, they're writing yeah. checks out of your wallet yeah. and out of my wallet. And the thing, For our grandkids. In our grandkids' wallet. That's exactly right. <coughs> and, uh, the thing is, the, they just keep taking and taking and taking. And they say, oh, you don't know how good you have it. Because in Sweden, they have a higher tax rate. Sweden, really. Sweden is about six families. It's it, <laughs> right. It, it's one big commune, basically. That's not a criticism. It's a fact that there's about uh, you know 180 people in the whole country. Please, Swedish embassy, don't send me a letter. I, I, yeah, I, I, we, we exaggerate right, for exa- effect. Just exactly. A tiny By bit the way, here. I've been to Sweden. Absolutely beautiful country and, and the wonderful yeah. people. Wonderful. But, you know, I have this thrown in my face, and right. I'm, I'm a I'm a big mouth is not shy about sharing my opinions with people I meet. And I actually had a conversation with the doctor. For some reason, I said, well, socialism's failed everywhere that it's been tried. Right. He goes, well, what about the Nordic countries? Exactly. I always get the Nordic exactly. countries. Well, A, they have small population. Tiny. B, Completely homogenous. Well, was. But the thing is that that's not true yeah, anymore. Because right, right. now we're getting hundreds of thousands of Muslim refugees right. being resettled in Sweden and how's the and in socialism Norway working out for them now? And in Denmark, and, right. and, and they're being settled by people that a don't believe in socialism, b don't believe in freedom, right. c don't believe in in any of the European civilization's ideals, and they're not assimilating them, and they're not able to afford them, and their social systems in places like Sweden and Norway are not the utopian no. situations that were always thrown in our faces about how socialism works great. And and, 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 and it proves and, our point, right? Because now it's gone from a, a homogenous to, to less homogenous society. It doesn't work in a bigger, non-homogenous society. It's that simple. And, and who knows how great socialism would have worked in any of those European countries if American taxpayers weren't essentially footing all of the medical research that they benefited from and the defense of their nations against the impingements of communism. It, it, it's really – we see this all the time. We see these false comparisons by people who don't understand social science, don't understand statistics. Uh, they say, they, they say, oh, let's, let's slightly shift topics. I hope I don't confuse the audience, but, but we're going to shift in a way that's connected. Meaning, what's the other, 
what's another false narrative that you hear? You hear the left saying, oh, gun rights. We need to restrict gun rights because guns are dangerous. But then you look at the cities that are the most dangerous and they have the always most restrictive. Democrat controlled. Right, always Democrat and the tightest gun control. Mm-hmm. And so then the response is, but they can get it from the neighboring areas that are less gun control. Right. But the one with the more gun control is the more dangerous. So, yes, I understand that there's access, but there's less access in the restricted area and there's more crime. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying it's a one-to-one ratio that you restrict and you increase crime. But I am saying the reverse is equally not true. You restrict, you don't decrease crime. We've seen that. It's a lot of factors. It's society. It's, it's, it's the population, the local population. It's economic. But it's also the availability of, of guns to law-abiding citizens. That has an effect. It's Absolutely. no question. Have you you've seen the book "More Guns, Less Crime"? Yes, of course. Right, right. And this is the thing, you know. And by the way, even the, you know that's a title. It's a great title, but that title's not completely true. Meaning, if you just handed out guns willy nilly, <laughs> that doesn't mean you get less crime. And and here's the thing that the left doesn't seem to understand: that well, if you have fewer guns, you have less gun crime. Well, no, because unlike other crimes, murder, rape. Robbery. You want that to be at zero. You don't want ownership of guns to approach zero if you don't achieve zero. Now, I'm not saying you want to achieve zero, but you never want to get fewer guns without knowing how you're having fewer guns. And what do I mean by that? I mean, hey, we could have fewer guns today. Just take away guns from cops. Everybody else has guns and cops have no guns. Is that better? I don't think so because the bad guys know, well, the cops show up, they have no guns. So we'll do more dangerous things. So there is. Look what's happened in Europe with the terror. Terror attacks right. that right. they've had, and and when there are not guns available, they run people down in That's bands, right. or right. they just go up to people randomly and in the street them. and start the stabbing. Exactly. Are we are we going to outlaw knives right. next? Well, and, and this is the thing: it's there is an ideal number, and I'm not saying it's a specific what, that we know the specific number, but there is an ideal number of guns, and the concept behind it, not the number, is you want good. Well-trained, smart, safe people with guns and bad guys without guns. Here's the problem. We know bad guys get guns. So we need those good guys to act as a response to the bad guys. So if you just say fewer guns, unlike murder, etc., where any reduction is a positive, you just say fewer guns, most likely the first thing that happens is good guys with guns are reduced. And you wind up with a greater imbalance of good to bad. There is no good murder. There is no imbalance. You just want to reduce murder, but you don't just want to reduce gun ownership willy-nilly. That's a difference. That's what the leftists don't understand. Robert, I love it. We're going to come back for some more of this right after we make Dave some vacation money. And welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. Carl Kimball sitting in for Dave while he tans his toes and sips his mint juleps and God bless you, Dave. You earned it. Enjoy it. But come back soon. I'm here. Man, with- I got to tell you, Carl. Yeah. I got a I got a text message from Dave a little while ago, while he was sitting on the beach. Just a little too much leg in that picture. <laughs> yeah, that little a little would be too much. There's no doubt about that. But I had the privilege of uh, sitting in on one of Dave's most fun and interesting hours of the week when we're visited by Robert Steinbach from. University of Arkansas Law School. And, uh, you know, we were talking about how different 
the folks were in New York from down here. And I've lived in New York and I've lived in New England before I came back to my hometown, Little Rock here. And I tell people a New England Republican is to the left of an Arkansas Democrat. Yeah, there's no question about it, right? And that's uh, – for years, the Democrat Party was in control in Arkansas and Little Rock. And those Democrats, for the most part, were still far more conservative than Republicans. You may have heard just in the news today that former Mayor Bloomberg uh, is contemplating running for president as a Democrat. Now, he was a Republican in New York. But he would run nationally as a Democrat. He says there's no way he could run as a Republican. He was one of those pro-choice, big government Republicans from New York. That's right. He had a few little slivers of sort of conservative ideals when it came to sort of law enforcement. But then he was all about big government. You can't drink – literally, you can't buy a big soda because it has too much sugar. Now, I don't drink big sodas. I don't don't either, but that's still – I don't need government telling me the size of soda. I don't need big government to tell me not to drink a big gulp, right? Like I can make that call on my own. brother. Right. And then he had another one of those kind of big government ideas that he imposed on people. I don't remember what it was now. I don't see Bloomberg as being much of a – threat for the no, presidency. No, I really actually don't think so. The, where he is is if he fi- funds his own campaign, but of course we know President Trump could do something similar and he's also now as an elected official has a lot of money in his coffers already. But uh, no, I, I don't think Bloomberg would actually win the Democratic primary because ironically he's too conservative for the Democrats. They're, they're, I don't, I don't see much threat from Joe Biden either right, in spite right. of all the talk about him. That's he's right. run for president twice That's and I don't right. think he ever got above one no, time. no, no. Although I will say this, I suspect in the end he would have been a stronger candidate than Hillary turned oh. out to be. Right, well, but that's, he would. She had an awful lot of baggage. That's right, and that's and, right. and I think an awful lot of the illegal activity yeah. in the Justice Department was to cover up her yeah, illegal right. activity and cover up her baggage. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, can I make a comment sure. on? Uh, by the way, you know, they say again, you hear these leftists and these new age um, never Trumpers saying, "Well, ne- only in third world countries do we say that we would lock up our opponents." You know, when they had the chant, "Lock her up." But the chant lock her up, just to be clear, wasn't about, hey, you're running against me, and if you lose, I'm going to throw you in jail. That is third world country stuff. The chant lock her up, whether or not you like it, whether or not you would have done it, whether or not you buy it, was simply she broke the law when it came to having a server in her basement in which she conducted government business, and it's not permitted, and she should be held to account. That's what lock her up meant. You like it or not. To me, what it meant was that the Clintons were not held to the same right? standards of justice, and whether As it's anybody the server else right? or anything else, That's and right. we can we could sit here probably for the rest of the hour right. and talk about ways in which the Clintons have done things that most of us would have gone to jail That's for, right. and they never ever suffer a penalty. For That's it. right. That's right. And so Locker Up wasn't about third world dictatorship tactics. It was it the was opposite. About equal justice right. before the law. It was about respect for the law. Now it was hyperbolic. It was a campaign. Fine. I'm not telling people. Like it or not like it, but the, to claim that it was third third world like rhetoric is fundamentally false. It's a lie, if I dare say, because that's what the leftists keep saying about the president. And it, it and it, what's really yeah. third world is to have your justice department that's right start phony investigations oh, right. to try and and have your opponent discredited that's right. at the same time that they're covering up crimes that you committed. That's, that's right. third world. That's right. That's that right. was really third world. And, 
And I still think that there are a lot of people that are still working for the Justice Department, still working for the FBI today, that probably ought to go to jail for what they've done. What was the guy who, with with the... um had the girlfriend in the FBI. Peter Strzok yeah. and Lisa Page. Yeah. Now, tell me that that you can, with a straight face, say that the things that Peter Strzok has documented in his text messages and said when he testified before Congress makes you feel comfortable that that guy was in one of the most senior positions in the FBI. And, FBI. He, got to, and he got to investigate Hillary right. and Right, Donald. right. And he said that he hates Donald and loves Hillary, and none of that had an effect. Look, I no, mean, I get that you have your political preferences. People do. We're but coming up yes, on sir. the bottom of the hour, and okay. we're going to get some news and some traffic and be back soon. Well, welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. And, man, it has been a pleasure sitting in for Dave, and I'm winding up one of the most fun hours. You're talking to Robert Steinbach, who's giving me a lot of insight and uh Oh, we talked about so many different subjects. I'm not sure where to go back to from where we were before the break. But uh, pick up the thread of your last thought there, Robert. You were telling me about uh, Democrats and Republicans from New York and yeah. the president and so forth. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, look, the, the point is that I think in the end, you vote for the candidate that's going to bring about the policies that you want. The candidate's your representative. And I think Donald Trump has said something really quite profound that people haven't recognized when he goes out in, on the world stage and says, look, I represent Americans. I don't rep- represent the world. I represent Americans. And, that's quite the opposite of his predecessor. Well, and that's the point. And that's exactly right. And that's why he yeah. got elected, that's in my right. opinion. That's right. There's no question that Obama had a philosophy of, hey, I'm trying to look out for everybody in the world, and I want to spread power across other countries and give it away from the United States, because that's his notion, and I put in air quotes for your listeners, fair. But here's the thing. I'm a trained lawyer and my job is to represent my client not the other guy's client not random person but my client or clients and that's what donald trump has quite clearly said he represents the american people so he gets the best deals he tries to get the best deals the best outcomes for americans and obama tried to give away uh, uh, power authority etc because he had this philosophy it, and, it really yeah. seemed like he was never putting the interests of the American people ahead of anybody. No, no he was an internationalist. And, 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 and in some respects, he was open party, about it. His whole party yeah. has kind of gone off the deep end. And right. I know that there are a lot of people that are dyed in the wool Democrats, but how can you vote for a party that puts the interests of illegal alien right. invaders over the interests of American citizens? Well, that's right. You know, and you hear all this stuff. Oh, well, these people have hardships. Yeah, they agreed. Oh, uh, they, I'm not sure about the following being true, but they say, oh, the, the level of crime committed by immigrants is lower than some level within the states. It's I'm not still sure. more than it would have been but if they hadn't been It's more than zero, here. right. It's more than zero had they not <clears throat> been here. So it's all of these internationalist arguments, which is these are great arguments <clears throat> if you're running the UN or you want to – and the UN had some sort of world authority. So – But they're not arguments to be made if you're looking out for Americans. And so if the choice is some random American who's, you know, living in a home, has got three or four kids, making a decent but not great salary and has to – both parents have to work so that they can make ends meet and – 
someone else from a third world country who has it worse. And there is worse than that. That's not an awful existence. Let's be clear. That's the existence, by the way, that I grew up in. That was my family's life. We were a happy family, but we didn't have a lot of wealth. And my parents worked really hard to put us all through school. And Where'd they you paid- grow up? Right. I, I grew up in New York, out in the suburbs of New York. Uh, and so uh, the, the, it's a good existence. It's not the the perfect existence. I don't know if there is a perfect existence. Uh, and no doubt it's better not than – Not on the, this side. Exactly. And uh, no doubt it's better than the existence of many people living in many third world countries. However, and it's a big however, that doesn't mean that we must – or even should significantly decrease the standard of living of those types of Americans and others, no doubt, so as to increase the standard of living that uh, of these other people in other countries. There's a limit to what we can do, and Americans need to be our priority. We're not putting blinders on. We're not ignoring all world events. You hear people say, whoa, what about the Holocaust? Okay, look, it's not the Holocaust. Here's a little <laughs> secret. It's not the Holocaust. My family, much of my family, died in the Holocaust. I know what the Holocaust is. This is not the Holocaust. Not everything is the Holocaust. And guess what? There are gradations. We can't fix every problem in every third world country or second world country or first world country that's not the United States. We have to make priorities, and the priorities have to start with Americans. Well, I've read about studies that show that any amount of even legal immigration reduces the standard of living of Americans on the lower end. So, I mean, guys that are rich, the guys that are hiring the grape pickers or whatever, they're going to do okay still. But it's those Americans that you were talking about that are getting by. They've got a better standard of living than most of the world, maybe sure, but they're on the lower end of the American standard of living. And, and those are the people that are hurt by immigration, even legal immigration. And not to say that I'm for cutting off immigration right. by any means, but but you, you have to take Americans into consideration. And oh, thank God we've got at least a president that that seems to be trying to put Americans ahead of others when it comes to considering the policies that we're facing. And we can debate the empirical evidence about how much immigration overall is good for the country. Do we need to import engineers because we don't have enough? I don't know, but that's a question that we can ask. But the the answer... And do we want the engineer right. to bring in 25 or 30 of his poor right. relatives to bring in 25 each of theirs? Right. That's a, What do they call that? That chain, chain migra- migration. Right. Chain migration. It's just... It's absurd. And here's the problem with chain migration. We develop a policy so that we as Americans and our elected representatives and, and the bureaucracy Bureaucrats that are put into place get to make the decision as to who we let in this country until we let in one, and then that one person gets to choose the next 25. What is that? Is that like a relay race of immigration decisions? That that, that makes almost as little sense as the lottery visas, where we take a country where not that many people come to the United States and say, hey, just you know, send us somebody. Yeah, we need more. We we, we wait. What? We need more. Why? Why? Give me. I mean, you know, oh, do they have they the, discovered the cure of cancer and they're not coming here? Then bring them over. But we just need more of people well, from some particular country. Nonsense. No, I, I want immigration to continue. Absolutely. Legal immigration. Right. But I want the people that come here to put America first. Absolutely. To, to, to come here and not maintain the loyalty to Sharia Absolutely. law. 
or, or anything else that's incompatible right. with our Constitution. I want them to come here to be Americans, like your ancestors right. did, like right. my ancestors right. did. I'm one generation. They I'm first came, generation they American. They came here to be Americans. My, parents, my father um, uh, lived in Poland when the Nazis uh, and the Soviets, it was in three weeks of each other, invaded. Yeah. September 39. Uh, yeah. So he lived under Nazi, Nazi occupation, and then he lived under Soviet occupation. The Soviets moved him into the Soviet <coughs> Union, and then, of course, the Nazis turned on the Soviets. He he spent the war in the Soviet Union, and after the war, they were forced to go back to uh, Poland. I mean, not that they objected, but all, everybody was supposed to go back to their home country, and they went back to Poland for some time. And thereafter, they went to, of all places, Germany. Why Germany, right? Because, of course, the Germans, before they were defeated, were the, the great evil of World War II. And the answer, as he told me, was because you went to where the Americans were. And if you wanted to live, you went to where the Americans were. And that's where he went. And then he went to Israel as part of the Zionist youth movement to fight for Israel's independence. He did so, and in less than a decade, decade later, he and my mother came to the United States. And so he understood the meaning of the United States. What a life. Yeah, incredible, incredible. What an incredible and, life. And, and so there's no question, right? Now, no one could ever accuse me of being anti-immigration, but he and I and people like us believe in legal immigration. The notion of illegal, that we would even have a debate over illegal immigration That's is insane. It's insane. It? Right? Yeah. Like, how am I doing? Well, these people do it. Wait, wait a second. These people that you're referring to, you're referring to illegal immigrants? End of discussion as far as I'm concerned. Get at the end of the line and then sign up to, to become a, a legal immigrant. I don't want to hear anything more about it. Yeah, I'm not against immigrants at all. Nope. I'm I'm married to one. There you go. My, there you go. My wife's late father mm. was a Havana lawyer whose last case wow. was defending the leaders of the Bay of Pigs oh, invasion. Oh, wow. Oh, that's, in, that's After that's which amazing. he took a three-day vacation with his pregnant wife and right. four little daughters and ended up in Buffalo, New York, which is where she grew up. So she was a right. fellow New Yorker right. with you right. as a result of Glad that escape. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. But that's exactly the point. And that this is why people from – our part of the country here in Little Rock, here in Arkansas, they kind of roll their eyes when they hear these these leftists, particularly, you know, it's a bit of a stereotype, but it works, you know, these kind of California leftists when they're saying, well, you know, we should have open borders and people, wait, what? I don't understand what that. What does that even mean? When, when, when Jerry Brown declares California a sanctuary state. Right. Sanctuary for crime? Well, sanctuary for ille- Ill- yeah, illegal well, activity? Who would vote for a guy that no, would do that? I, know it, I, I just can't understand the California mentality. Right, right. And, and, and that's why I say thank God for the electoral college yeah. every day. Because right. otherwise, the people that are crazy like like right. the ones that would like Jerry Brown right. would would be deciding who the president was and would be deciding the cultural direction of the entire country even more than they already are. You, you know, it's funny is that the liberals uh, only became enemies of the Electoral College when they uh, when two elections turned yeah. on the Electoral College. And there have been so few. The, the, the only times that the Electoral College has ever resulted in a non-plurality winner is 1824, which... Was before there were that was the first popular election, mm-hmm. 1824, 1876, and then uh, uh, there was uh, uh, one uh, James Harrison was a was a loser of the popular vote but won. 
so that was two in a row there. But uh, then uh, not again until uh, Gore, until right. 2000 right. and, and 2016 are right. the only two in right. my lifetime where the Electoral College is not ratified the right. plurality winner. Right. And, of course, you know, this, in my opinion, and I think that I'm – probably right the margin of victory of in the popular vote of al gore over george bush was far less than the number of votes the democrats typically steal in any given year right well and also just remember this and there's no guarantees but if you're running an electoral college election then the candidates run that kind of campaign you gotta go to wisconsin right exactly so you wouldn't you wouldn't even go to some of the small states because you would try to gin up your votes on the popular vote so the people yeah all you got to do is maximize your turnout on the east and west exactly and it doesn't matter what anybody in this part of the country thinks we wouldn't have a chance exactly you know it's like and i and i'm so bad with sports analogies but someone told me (laughs) right i'm not i just i i'm unfortunately i'm a bit of a nerd but you know it's like saying well we ran more yards in the football game yeah but the other guy got more other team got more touchdowns that's what counts right and so they're adding up the the wrong number or the the team that only won three games in the world series scored more runs that's right same exact thing same thing got to make dave some money we'll be back for our final segment right after this welcome back and this is carl kimball sitting in for dave and while i'm not a professional radio broadcaster i've got the privilege over the years of being behind the mic on a number of occasions over the years and i don't think i have ever had more fun than the hour with robert steinbach this has been so much fun thank you and we got so little of it left i'm just going to turn it over to you to continue a restart robert give us the rest of it Look, we were talking about what is good for America and that our representatives should be looking out for Americans. I don't think this is a controversial notion. It shouldn't be. Right, it shouldn't be. But it seems to me that it is controversial on the left, Mm -hmm. that that the left – sanctuary cities, right? Now, sanctuary cities quite literally protects uh, people breaking the law. Uh, and who are not Americans. So there's two things. There's criminal activity for non-Americans, and they are putting those imposing sanctuary cities, the interests of foreign criminals over the interests of Americans. And I just don't... And in the case of California, the whole state. Yeah. Do you think, is this the biggest defiance of the federal government by a state since the Civil War? You know, that's an interesting question. That, that, That could be the case. And... Of course, the federal government is free to and has been exercising its enforcement privileges in um, California, and I would like to see them do more, meaning if if states are are going to sort of actively resist, uh, I think it's important that the federal government do what it's supposed to do. It reminds me of the nullification crisis during uh, Andrew Jackson's term when when the state said, well, we just don't approve of that law. We're not going to follow it. He said, well, the troops are coming. We're going to follow this law. You're part of America. Exactly. Well, of course, the, the Little Rock and Central High, right? I mean, yeah, that was our a, most embarrassing episode. Exactly, and it's an example where the federal government said, "Excuse me, we have federal laws, and those need to be followed." And this is the irony: it, it, the, the, the left, the liberals, were the ones in favor, of course, correctly correctly of, uh, of integration, anti discrimination, that kind of thing, and there were. Racists. I don't even want to call them conservatives because I don't think it's fair to say that. But whatever they were, these racists were against it. And the federal government came in and said, sorry, states' rights don't trump equality. 
right? Equal Equality access. before the law. Exactly. And so now all of a sudden, the, the uh, sort of descendants of those ideals, the left, are saying, oh, no, 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 we don't follow the federal law. We make up our own laws. How is that? How, how is that logical? How is that consistent? I, I remember someone I once said illegal alien and someone said, no, I actually said illegal immigrant because that's the term that I, I tend to use the most in this context. I, just, I, I understand it the most. I never really grasp the, the word alien. It reminds me of, of course, space aliens. <laughs> anyway, and someone said, well, you know, they're not illegal. And I said, well, just bear in mind that the term in the law is illegal alien. I've changed it to illegal immigrant, which is perhaps slightly more benign. But I didn't make up these terms. These are terms in the laws, in the statutes. And so it's this attempt by the left to reinvent language so as to reinvent ideas. And and I think that you put your finger right on one of the biggest problems conservatives and what you or I might think of as right-thinking Americans have, and that is that the left has completely commandeered the language. Liberal used to be – I consider myself a liberal in the 18th century definition of the word. They've hijacked a word that meant free and applied it to a system that's trying to establish Less freedom. That's exactly. Well, and, 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 and using amen. the terms racist against anybody that disagrees oh, that's with their policies. It's the ist. Again, You're an ist. Again Pick and again and again, they right. use language against us by commandeering words that are used for purposes they never were meant to mean. Well, they have literally claimed that hate speech can be regulated outside the First Amendment because it's not speech. Wait, what? Hate what? hate speech you know if you're going to go down that path of changing the meaning of common sense words don't use the word like don't call hate speech speech and then say it ain't speech call it hate something else but they can't because they're stuck in this circle i don't like the idea right. of, of hate crime laws no, it's at all. Nonsense. if it's a crime right. then it ought to be punished as a crime of and course. what you had in your heart at the time you did it should not be the defining factor because who's going to say that i was hateful instead of just mean or ignorant right but the, but and that's hate crimes and that's one area related to this but hate speech is that they are telling you you that's can't thought say, crime right thought crime. you can't say certain things and i said but i have the first amendment oh it doesn't apply to that well what's it apply to nursery rhymes and greeting cards that's the thing they they don't understand the fundamental meaning of core american concepts they talk about oh donald trump is upsetting sort of our uh, the way we understand america no the left is uh, uh, upsetting the way we understand america the first amendment by the way was uh, strengthened by the left in the 60s and 70s and they have completely abandoned it and the right has taken over the charge for defending the first amendment it's remarkable but thank goodness somebody is and the right defends the first amendment and the second amendment and by the way they come in that order for a reason they are in order of importance first and second amendments are the biggest reason why the united states of america is the greatest country in the history of the world absolutely and when we gut it of the meaning of those and again taking over the language like you said that's right if we change the language so that those two amendments don't mean mean what they clearly say that's right it's uh, like the great walter williams used to say you want to play poker with living rules yeah exactly 
I, I truly don't know what a living constitution is. You know what it is? It, it, it's what the other guy says he wants right? it to be at the time. It's a policy choice. Essentially, it's none at all. It's rule exactly. of the strongest. Exactly. And the whole Back to po- the jungle. That's right. And the whole point of a constitution is that whatever policy preferences you may have, some of them must be kept in check by the rules of the game. That's it. When you play the board game Monopoly, you can tweak it at the margins, but there are a set of rules. You go around the board, you collect $200. If you don't want to play Monopoly, pick up Boggle. But there are rules to Monopoly the same way the Constitution has a core meaning. Robert, I wish I could talk to you about the Constitution for three or four more hours. I appreciate it. Sadly, we're down to about our last 15 seconds or so. Thank you so much, Robert Steinbach, for helping me make this the most fun hour on the radio. I think I I've ever had. Carl Kimball in for Dave. See you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.